This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out and go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a I want to. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. You are listening to the world's greatest professional wrestling podcast. It is, of course, the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I, of course, am Joe Lanza, and I am here with a man who has not attained godlike status. The captain, secretly sassy, Rich Krejci. Rich, we've been talking for about 20 minutes, but I don't know how else to do this. So how are you? <laughs> I am good, Joe. I am good. Yeah, this is always an issue. Sometimes we get on here and we, we just like mumble two words to each other. And we hit record. This one we've we've been talking for 10, 15 minutes, so uh, it's it's painfully awkward to be like, Joe, how are you? How was your night? Like, how are the wife and kids, yeah. Joe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you literally talked to the wife tonight. I did. I so did. Yeah, we got some great like, we got some great insights that uh, will be used uh, for future ad reads for uh, for Manscaped. They didn't they didn't sponsor this week, so they're not going to get any. Uh, any plugs yet, but I, I'm excited for next week's uh, Manscaped read, though. We got we got some good insights, some good uh, some intel from the, the uh, TLB, so yeah, we'll reveal that next week of what, what we learned about Joe's balls. Rich, um, yeah, Rich discussed my balls yeah. with uh, TLB <laughs> moments ago in, in, in footage that will be released on the B-side of the uh, Voice Wrestling flagship uh, next drop, correct? We're going to do that. We're going to put the... Uh, the B-sides? Uh, yeah, all yeah. Of the- is, uh, All is the Texas, secret audio that you recorded. Yeah, is Texas a, uh, a two-party state or a one-party state? Because you told her she was not being recorded when, in fact, she was absolutely being recorded. So <laughs> Find that out. Find that no, out, and she, then we'll see about the B-side stuff. So. She, uh, she's a, well aware. Any Anytime I have the headsets on, she knows it's fair game. She turns into a mime. She, she's te- she's Or as you described, you said you are being one of those clowns in a box. And... She didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything. The, I'm thinking, what the hell are you talking about? What clown in a box? I said, you, the, and I'm yeah. thinking of like Bozo. I'm like, well, there's buckets. Like, I, she's, he's not talking about Bozo. Like, what the hell is he talking about? You were talking about a mine, but I like how you said one of those clowns in a box. You know what I'm talking about? I couldn't think of what they're called, so I said clown in a box, and I said, you know, the French gimmick. And then both of you said mine. Yes, there we go. So. If we were playing like password or something, what's that get? You would I would have won. So no, what's we the problem? It. Yeah, we, like, we certainly would have gotten it under the time. So that's fine. Yeah. I think a lot of people would have gotten it at clown in a box, to be honest. Maybe. Right? Okay. So, by the way, Texas, the Texas is a one-party really state, so we're good. So, she didn't even have to know. So, keep lying and telling her you're not recording. So. Yeah. It's the Wild West out here, man. Yeah, I was going to say, do Jesus. what you want. <laughs> Wiretapping. Um, just record a conversation. Yeah. Don't, like, that idea is just, like, baffling that there's just a state where you could just call somebody and record the conversation. <laughs> not tell them you're recording it. And it's just, it's just fine. It's just you're good to go. It's, uh, well... Nah, they don't need to know. The labor laws out here are fantastic too, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> I was we'll say, have all I the leftists. All of the leftists will be on our case. You were like just it's woke. my fault. You were like just woke last week, Joe. You can't ruin it already. 
listen. You were just woke last was, week. I know. It felt gross. But, um, you know, what are you going to do? I, I don't write the law. It wouldn't be my fault. I just live here. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not part of – I'm not like on the legislature like passing fucking bills. So why would they get mad at me? They probably would though because why – you know, it's just – it's like, you know. Getting mad at Joe Lanza is just a kind of kind of a thing to do. So why not take it out on me? Why am I all? You made me grumpy. Why I don't am know I why you're grumpy? Now? Yeah, we should be happy. We're talking about your balls. You should be, you know, feeling all puffy chested. You got a, a very good compliment on the balls. Well, specifically ones we'll talk about next week. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, you should be very happy today. It's a good night. It's a late night right. Friday all recording. Right. It's it's 10 p.m. We're sleepy. It's, it's late <laughs> late night. It's uh it's late night crate lately. I gotta tell you. You've been setting these things up in uh, – you're going to start getting the the uh, dulcet tones of late night Lanza if you start setting these things up any later. It's pretty crazy. I actually dozed off waiting for you. I was really? up on the couch oh, watching a basketball game and I fell asleep. That would have been bad like if I just fell asleep. you know. Then what would you have done? I actually did that once. Uh, there was a – we were going to <laughs> – fittingly enough, I guess this week we're, we're – we'll, We'll get into it in, in, in a few weeks, I, I assume, because people keep asking about this. But uh, the time we were going to interview ACH, I remember uh, many, many moons ago. This is, God, seven years ago, I think. Uh, we were going to uh, interview him, and we had it all set up and ready to go. And I was just like, you know what? Let me just take like a quick like little 10-minute nap. I'll be ready to go. And, man, I just slept completely through it. And I think I think you did it on your own, or maybe I jumped in later, like an hour. I forget what exactly happened or whatever. But I, I woke up to like 18 frantic text messages from you being like, uh, Rich, hey, what's going on? Hey, you there? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Like, I just remember it being a very uh, bad thing. So maybe, was it only you and ACH that talked? Maybe I didn't talk then. No, we had um, we had ACH on the show twice. Okay. It may have been pretty... the first time or the second time. One of the times I definitely slept through. I don't know if it was AC. I think we both interviewed him both time may have been someone else i because this isn't really ringing a bell but um it might have been somebody else who knows i forget i don't know it's happened before and it is it is it is not good yeah so um so I I apologize. So <laughs> no, see I think it's this one. The first is so it says it says here Joe Lanza welcomes rising indie star and rookie of the year candidate ACH to the program. There you go. You so were I right. Think, yeah, so maybe so I, 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 we were doing joint re- recordings at all those times, but something must have yeah. happened where I think yeah I, I think I slept through it or whatnot. So uh, there you go. It's all you. So this uh, Anarchy Championship Wrestling Guilty by Association seven going on a uh, Sunday January twentieth two thousand thirteen. So make sure you're there. Uh, the Mohawk. 912 Red River, Austin, Texas. Make sure you're there. 2013. Yeah, 2013. They're back now, too. Anarchy. I saw they, they announced they're, uh, they're coming back, so that's good. Who? Anarchy? Yeah, yeah. They never left. Oh, Anarchy. No, never mind. It's Inspire that was that. Uh... <laughs> oh, you're thinking of Inspire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. This is even pre Inspire. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is 2013. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a few months before Inspire. Yeah, because Inspire splintered off um, from Anarchy. But, um, but yeah, that that that's correct. That is pre-inspire. That's go. a long time ago. That's a that long interview, time ago. That lives somewhere. It does. Yeah. So here, this is. It says. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? The, the actual audio file itself does, and I think it lives on my laptop yeah. that is now broken. So it, gotcha. It kind of lives, but not really. Like I can probably get it off that laptop, uh, but I don't know for sure if we'll be able to. But uh, I like the quote. Here. Quote: ACH talks about his thoughts on his breakout 2012, what his feelings are, and being considered a rookie in the Wrestling Observer Awards. His thoughts on working with Ata, Mister Touchdown, Air Fox, and others. His big match coming up with Matthew Palmer, and where he would like to take things in 2013. So, 
Wow. Man, we've been doing this a long time. <laughs> really have, yes. That's, many careers have changed in that time, for sure. Oh, man, wow. Yeah. Where was... Uh, what was CM Punk doing in 2013? I was going to say, great little, uh, great little segue there. Uh, he was probably doing anti-establishment promos, and uh, and and I think uh, was that was 13. I think that's the year of his pretty big run, right? Wasn't it 12, uh, 2012, 2013 at that time? So anyway, yeah, he was uh, in the midst of his his, his long championship run. But uh, yeah, this this podcast is kind of in a lot of ways lived and ebbed and flowed and all that sort of stuff. We talk about New Japan as being a big reason why this website exists and, and Okada and Tanahashi and our growth and all that sort of stuff. Well, this website exists because of CM Punk. I would say that like the reason I started this this entire thing and the reason I bought this domain name and all this sort of stuff was was because of Money in the Bank 2011 being there in the crowd for you know CM Punk versus John Cena. Everything that he kind of gave, the voice of the voiceless, that's why it's called Voices of Wrestling. And, you know, it took me five seconds to come up with, and now we're stuck with this dopey ass name forever. And all it does is allow people to get, hey, you call yourselves the Voices of Wrestling, more like Voices of Idiots, or like, you know, on Twitter. Like, all, all it's done is just created these annoying as fuck. And every new tweet that does that, you know, that guy thinks he's the first one. That's like, oh, yeah, some Voices of Wrestling oh, yeah. you guys are. Like, yeah, nailed it. Like, yeah. Like, he just thinks he's the first guy. Imagine calling yourself (laughs) the voices of wrestling when you don't like this wrestler I like. That's basically what it is. High fives his friend. Got him. I fucking own them. Like... Yeah. Like, dude, we've been hearing that since 2013, but thanks a lot. But, um, yeah, so the the big news, obviously, this week, uh, we had sort of hinted at it a few weeks back. There was, you know, a, a lot of smoke to the fire uh, of him trying out for the the, the Fox show, WWE Backstage. Uh, and then this week, he officially came out, officially returned to the WWE family uh, in the form of WWE Backstage. So he will be a correspondent or host or whatever the hell. I forget exactly what terminology they're using for uh, the host there of, of WWE Backstage. So... I mean, initial thoughts when, when – were you super surprised by this or did you feel like it was kind of inevitability that at some point he was going to pop up back within the WWE family? And, and, and what do you make of his you know, re-return being on this WWE backstage property? Which I guess let, let's, let's – I, and I wrote an article on VoiceOfWrestling.com, by the way. But let's call a spade a spade. You can say, oh, he's being paid by Fox. It's a Fox show. But, like, it's a WWE show hosted by WWE employees – Talking about WWE in kayfabe terms, like we can we can drop the pretense that this is like Adrian Wojnarowski or that that Ryan Satin is like the Ken Rosenthal of WWE. No, it's a WWE program with WWE wrestlers talking about WWE. It it, it is as controlled and as <laughs> like so so this idea that like well no he's, he's he works for Fox he doesn't even work for WWE. like come on let, let's drop that pretense right now. So just just wanted to get that out of the way. But yeah, I mean technically he does work for Fox. We should be clear. But you're right. The show is absolutely not some kind of, you know, journalistic endeavor by Fox, completely independent, uh, you know, of WWE's influence. I mean, that's a joke. I mean, as soon as Ryan Satin, the uh, what, what's his official title, the um, um, insider, WWE believe, yeah, insider, WWE Ryan insider, Satin. Yeah. As soon as he reports on the aforementioned ACH. Or as soon as he reports on, uh, you know, planes being stuck in Saudi Arabia, uh, as soon as he reports on those sorts of things, we can talk about this being some kind of, uh, you know, hard-hitting journalistic endeavor independent of WWE influence. You know what I mean? It's like he's just reading prepared stories that they're feeding to him 10 minutes before they go on the air. So, yeah, he's not Adrian Wojnarowski. He's not um, – you know, whoever you want Adam to name, Schechter, uh, yeah, digging through the phones and calling sources and 
talking about reports, yeah, it's not it's none of that. Yeah, because if you turn on Fox NFL Sunday, if there's a shitty NFL story, they're gonna be talking about it and reporting on it. You know, this fight that just happened yeah, I was on Thursday say. Night Football. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna see a lot of clips of an NFL player striking another NFL player with a helmet. And yeah, that's not necessarily something that NFL wants, but they don't have a choice in, in, in this case. When when you when you have you know journalistic based studio shows like this, they're going to talk about that stuff. Yeah, Fox and CBS and ESPN this weekend are going to be all all over this. You know, Colin Kaepernick tryout on Saturday and everything, and and, and that's the kind of stuff that you know um, you know Ryan Satin and this show is never going to do. And you know, that's not even meant. I'm not even taking a shot at Ryan Satin. I mean, you know they offered him a job and he took it and he's part of this panel, but they're sort of presenting him as he's in that role. And they're presenting this show like it's in the same vein as these other shows. And it's not, and we all know that. And, and until they start reporting on stories that make the company look bad, uh, then they, then it can't be taken seriously. It's no different than the pay-per-view pre-shows or anything that airs on the network. Exactly. Right. Segwaying that. Yeah, exactly. That's what they are. So well, and yeah, like one of the one of the main stories that, that again, and like we're not doing sideswipes at Satin, like whatever. That's just his job, and that's the job he signed up for. But you know, one of the main things he reported reported on, quote unquote, last week on, or, or the week on, on WWE backstage was Paige's new contract. Paige is the host of the show. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that he's going, oh, I got some reports that Paige resigned, and his Paige going, oh, we. It's like, come on, like let's just drop this pretense that like Punk's going to be like not under any sort of purview, and he can do whatever he wants to do, and he can say whatever he wants to say, like. I'm sure they're going to do like work shoot, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, and, and CM Punk will tell it like it is. And he'll say, you know, I don't think Seth Rollins really deserves his spot. And then Renee Young will go, ooh, I don't know. Can we say that? Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, no. And like, that's what Punk's role is going to be. We know that that's kind of what it's it's going to be. But at the end of the day, it is a WWE property. It just happens to be, you know, yeah, he's being paid by Fox. But let's not let's not lose sight of, of what this program is. Listen, if 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 Ryan Satin. If his role is truly to be, you know, Chris Mortensen or, or Adrian Rojanowski, go out there and talk about ACH this week. Because how on earth would not would that not be his lead topic if he was truly right, right. the independent, the independent WWE insider? That'd be the lead topic, okay? And as far as CM Punk goes, same thing. I am not going to judge CM Punk until I see him on the show. Maybe he will go out there guns blazing. Do I think that's going to happen? No, of course I don't. But to be fair, he hasn't been on the show yet, and he swears he's going to just be honest about things. But when he says that, he probably means he's going to be honest about storyline things. You know, they're, again, they're not going to be hard hitting and go after the company. And and I'm not even saying that anybody, uh, uh, you know, may have expected that or whatnot. But he's the one talking all this trash saying that he's going to go on this show and 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 tell it like it is and I forget what his exact quote was well you know then you know deliver them let's see or you're going to go on there and just be a show like the first of all the rest of them are employed by WWE number one uh, you know with the exception of uh, satin I guess I guess he's employed by Fox too, he correct? Is, yeah he is a Fox guy as well so they're not going to go after the company or, or, or do anything hard-hitting. And we, we already know that we've established that Satin is just going to read whatever quote-unquote breaking news they hand him, whether it's Randy Orton's new contract or Paige's new contract once she's standing five feet from him. All right, Punk, let's see. 
Let's see this. I don't even know what day this thing airs because what, what is this? Friday nights or something? What is this? Uh, I believe um, it's – I don't even know. I, I'm not going to watch it. I don't give a shit. I believe it's no, – I believe it's I, Tuesdays. I, I want to say I don't know what it is. Whatever date his dopey show is on. I mean let's see him go out there. Tuesday. It's and Tuesday truly night, Tuesday be hard hitting. So. Tuesday nights. There you go. So um, yeah, I mean I don't know. You wrote uh, an article and, 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 and you were pretty harsh. And you were pretty hard on punk. Um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to wait and see and see how he handles it. But obviously, I think it's just going to be, you know, I, you know, I mean, WWE is producing it, correct? I mean, it's not even Fox producing the that, show. That's where I'm not. I wasn't I, I had trouble finding that out exactly. I mean, one look at it. If you've ever watched the show, it has WWE written all over it. I mean, it is the brightest show you have ever seen in your life, Joe. It is unbelievable. There's just lights splashing everywhere. There's lights flashing everywhere. Everyone's yelling. It is the loudest, most bold, bright thing you've ever seen in your life. I have to imagine WWE's producing it, given what it looks like. But I, I, I wasn't able to find exactly who like the director is or who the producer is and all that sort of stuff of who's actually kind of running the tapes and running the, the boards and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I, I I would knowing what Fox produces and what Fox produced stuff looks like and what WWE produced stuff looks like, I would venture to believe that it's WWE produced and and, and not Fox. Uh, listen, all I know is when the Antonio Brown stuff was going on earlier this season in the NFL, Fox, CBS, ESPN, every pregame show, every halftime show, every postgame show, were putting his tweets right there on the screen and breaking it down and being critical. When I see ACH's tweets on that screen, <laughs> yeah, on two, well, you see, but, but you're right. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. With you know, obviously, stuff bleeped out and stuff muted or whatever. But yeah, addressing it, even saying, "Hey, look, one of you know, one of the WWE employees, Jordan Miles, or yeah, like that." No, but you, you know, you're not going to see that. So you're right. You're absolutely no, right. of course not. And, and, and those were very similar situations: the Antonio Brown thing and the thing that ACH is currently going through. Uh, you know, Brown saying he's never going to work for the NFL again, and and and. You know, tossing out charges of racism and very similar situations. And, um, you know, that's the perfect analogy. Let me see that. Then I'll take your little show seriously. Until then, how can you? You can't take it seriously. Okay, so now that we've established that it's just, you know, essentially like anything else they'd air on the network this week in WWE or a pre-show panel thing, which is basically what it is. You know, now we uh, can break down what Punk means to the show and why Fox wanted him. The first show did forty nine thousand viewers, which was an atrocious number. The second week did did double the number, did a hundred thousand viewers, which I've seen some people erroneously credit to CM Punk, but he was a surprise in the last thirty seconds of the show. He didn't draw that number. We'll see what CM Punk is worth the first t- the the first week he appears, which I don't even know if that's going to be this week because he's not even from what I understand, a full-time panelist on the show. Right, they've done a weird job of explaining exactly what his role is going to be, and I don't know if they're still kind of trying to work that out, maybe, or whatnot, but yeah, it's apparently he's like a a semi-regular, I think is the term that they're using, but it's not like they've said that he's definitely going to be on this thing next week. Um... I think. Let me let me see. Oh, they, they actually have updated that. So it says CM Punk appears on WWE Backstage and FS1 reveals he'll be back next week. So this is on us uh, from WWE.com. So apparently he will be back next week. But then after that, it'll be semi-regular appearances uh, on the show. Periodic appearances on the show is the exact terminology they're using. Hey, would NFL.com let you know when 
Fox NFL Sunday added a panelist? <laughs> Definitely not. No, I wouldn't say Chris Carter joins illustrious panel of, you know, talking heads on CBS <laughs> morning. Yeah, no. It's not. just also silly. You know, it's, just, it's, it's their fucking show. So anyway, um, then we'll find out this week what he's worth, at least week one. And of course, whatever week one does, it'll do less next week. People are going to watch it this week to see Punk and see what Punk has to say. And if Punk is just there essentially doing, you know, what Samoa Joe has been doing on the show and just spouting out company, but then no one, I don't think Punk is going to mean a thing moving forward. What's your take on that? Because I think unless Punk is a loose cannon and a genuine one, people will see through if he's doing like Vince Russo doing Vic Venom. Yeah, right. You see what I'm saying? Oh, no, and I I think that's probably what we're going to get. And it's not going to – it's not mm-hmm. – yeah, because like I said, he's going to go on there and be like, yeah, Seth Rollins, I don't know if he's really, you know, what he says he is. Like, oh, uh, you know, like, you know, just like dumb work shoot shit like that. That's just like yeah. not even like – like not actually being like, hey, you know what you guys should do? You should release Jordan Miles. You know what I mean? Like that would be – you know, that would be the shock thing. That would be like, oh, shit, okay. But instead it's going to be like, yeah, I don't know if Seth Rollins really deserves his spot. And they're like, ooh, you know, and Paige goes, oh, can we even say that? Or, oh, my God, I can't believe that he said that. And But that, that's probably what it's going to be. But no, as far as what he means, I mean – He'll mean a lot this week. I, I I really do think that a ton of people are going to tune in just to see him. And this is a guy who's been been gone. He's been on ice. Nobody's heard from him. Nobody's seen him. I mean, this is the wrestling return, the, the pro wrestling return for all intents and purposes uh, of CM Punk. And this is a long time coming. This is four or five years uh, that he's been kind of out of the game. And, and he's coming back. And yeah, I think that first show is going to do a big number. But we'll see completely. It'll, it'll be it'll be telling. Like a few minutes in, I think you'll know right off the bat. Okay. This is not going to mean a thing, or it's going to mean something. And, and and if he is a guy that's an open book, and if he's a guy that that can kind of tell it like it is, and 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 maybe speak for a lot of the fans that that are are watching and annoyed or whatever, then then yeah, I think he will probably do okay in the numbers. You know, I I don't know if the show is going to really become like a hit or whatever, but it, it it could certainly help. It would definitely be you know more than the whatever atrocious number they had that first week or whatever. But I think we're going to know almost like like I said within five minutes we're going to know is this is is Punk going to matter? Is Punk going to be interesting on the show or is he just going to be CM Punk guy? You know, is he just going to be a guy on the panel that happens to be CM Punk? And, and that's that's my worry, and that's my thought is probably of what they're going to do. But but we'll see. Like you said, there's no way to accurately judge it until you see what it is. But I can't believe. I mean, I, I would bet the house that he is just no. like, you know, correspondent with a little, you know, a tinge of little kind of realism and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and 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 winks to the camera and, and, and that sort of stuff is what we're going to get. But not out and out like, hey, CM Punk can just talk about whatever the hell he wants to talk about. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. The, the tone will be obvious in the first 10 minutes of the show. And again, if it's just – and people will see through it if it's forced. And if it's just CM Punk shooting on storylines, nobody cares. Rich, no one is going to care. So um, you know, even from that perspective, if he's like shitting on Rusev – if he's shitting on the Rusev and Lana thing, and even if he's being genuine about it, is anyone really going to care? No. Yeah, Does that have it, it, any appeal? Not whatsoever. No, and the, the problem too is they're going to have him. He's going to be like, oh, he's going to say wrestling and go, oh, am I not allowed to say that? And they're going to go, oh, you know, like it's going to yeah. be dumb shit like that that he's going to do, and it's going to be like yeah. towing that line. But that's that shit's old. Like nobody wants that anymore. That that is that is so beyond what anybody really cares or or, or, or yeah, no one's going to watch the show because CM Punk says wrestling instead of sports entertainment. Like, but that's what they're going to do. He's going to say wrestling and go, oh, I don't care if I can't say wrestling. I'm going to say wrestling. I'm going to call him belts too, and it's going to be like, oh no, he called him belts. He called 
called it wrestling, but like, who, it doesn't matter. It, it, who cares? You know, if, if this really was a legitimate, independently produced show, where I don't know, even even with the same cast of characters, if it's Renee Young sitting there as a moderator and CM Punk and Ryan Satin and whoever the fuck else, uh, and they're sitting there breaking down ACH in Saudi Arabia, I'm tuning in for that. I mean, you know, if I knew it was genuinely independently producing all those things, they're never allowing that to happen. God no, and, and I don't, I don't think, and I don't think we're breaking news to anybody listening. But yeah, uh, you know, it, it's um, that's why I think, you know, I, I think it'll pop a big number the first week out. There's going to be curiosity, but beyond that, um, once people see, uh, you know, what it is and what he's doing, I don't think he's really worth that much. Um, I don't think anyone is worth that much in that kind of role, you know, because there's just no appeal to it. You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know, but what about you know something like Talking Smack? Now, people loved Talking Smack, but it's really hard to judge how popular Talking Smack was because it was on the network. So, while a lot of people in the bubble went on and on about how great Talking Smack was, Rich, there could have been twenty five thousand people watching. For all we know, you know, we don't know the answer to that. There could have been 12,000 people watching. So I don't even know if if something, you know, in that direction um, would have appeal if they approached the show that way. But, um, you know, I'm curious if the show did 100,000 viewers last week and 100,000 people saw CM Punk come out in the last 30 seconds. We'll see what he's worth as a draw. You know, I was joking around and I sent out a tweet that, like, if he doesn't pop a number, you know, Matt Jackson should text him another offer for half of what they offered him last time. <laughs> right, you're not wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not a call. Definitely a text, in. though. Got to be a text. So. Definitely. It's got to be a text. And it's got to be half what they, you know, offered him last time if he doesn't pop a number here. I mean, if that show comes out and does 75000 this week, he's worth nothing. You know, now, obviously, he's going to be worth more if you're if you're telling me he's going to wrestle. But, you know, so I'm being somewhat facetious here, but. Um, for me, the only curiosity is how many viewers the show does this week and then how many viewers it does next week. Right. After that, I can continue never thinking about this show ever again in my life. And, and as far as the punk thing as well, you mentioned that I, I, I have the piece up at, at VoicesWrestling.com. And mostly what I, I do in that piece is talk a little bit about the background uh, of this entire thing of, of, of punk leaving WWE. Uh, the podcast with Colt Cabana, the you know legal issues that he had with WWE, you know obviously then when when those get settled, then he you know him and and, and Colt have their their you know dust up and and some of the accusations that Punk makes about WWE and their medical and the way they treated him and how he felt when he was there and all that sort of stuff and 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 there's a lot there, there's a lot to unpack. But but what I did bring up in the in in the story as well is that this isn't unprecedented. Like there might be people that are living through this right now, going, "Oh my god, I can't believe Punk would go back to WWE. I can't believe he would do that." And like, while I'll talk about it in a bit, while I'm probably disappointed in in some sense that he just did this, and 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 really my disappointment isn't that he came back to WWE. It's that you know he he the, the period where he left WWE and then came back. The in between that, I I just feel like there's a lot of lost potential of what could have possibly come from Punk at, at that period. But we'll, we'll get to that here in a sec. But as far as like you know everything that happened when he was with the company and everything that happened you know once he left the company and the lawsuits and all that sort of stuff, to many people this might be like the first time they've ever experienced this. But for people that have been watching forever, or followed the history of wrestling, this is not unprecedented for WWE. I mean, Vince McMahon loves redemption stories where guys come back to him. Ultimate Warrior. How many times did Ultimate Warrior go into court or, or have issues or get fired and come back? 
and then go into court and then da, 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 and yada yada and all this sort of stuff and then come back. I mean, that, that, that happened with Ultimate Warrior many times and, and maybe even to a larger extent than even CM Punk. Bret Hart is probably the all-time case here of everything that happened with Bret Hart and Vince McMahon, the, including the Owen situation, including different laws, everything that happened. And then when it came down to it, Bret Hart finally came back. And, and made amends and, and, and whatever, came back again. Jeff Jarrett, another one who, who publicly got fired by Vince McMahon the first night of the invasion or whatever, and eventually, after many, many years, after forming TNA and doing all this sort of stuff, eventually he came back as well and got back in the folder, holding Vince McMahon up for money, which, too, is obviously the, the biggest thing there as well. There, we've seen it time and time again. You can go back. Bruno San Martino, another very famous one as well, a guy who, who would go on these shows and say, yeah, Vince McMahon's an evil person and he's corrupting the wrestling business, yada, 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 and, and Vince hated the guy. Vince wanted the guy dead, and Eventually, when it came to it, you know, Triple H had to kind of be the mediator, but he got in and they were eventually able to kind of make up and he'd go into the Hall of Fame and all that sort of stuff. So we've seen this a bunch of times. It's not unprecedented, the punk thing, but I think for people that are living in it right now, it, it is a bit of a shock given how tumultuous the stuff was and 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 just how it seemed that he really had spoken about how he really enjoyed his life outside of WWE, how he really hated his time there. But at the end of the day, Joe, are you really surprised that, that he came back? Are, are, are you shocked at all that he came back? Or did you think this was going to be a play eventually down the line, no matter what? Do you get the sense that Punk is just the kind of guy who likes to zig when everyone else wants him to zag? I kind of get the impression that it's like, He's been asked about AEW for the last fucking year or whatever it is, constantly. Uh, he's complained about all those AEW guys, texting them all the time. He's complained about the supposed unprofessional offer that he received via text message. He is constantly asked about it every time he does a Comic-Con or, or a, uh, a WrestleCon or anything like that. He's asked about AEW. Do you get the sense that he's the kind of personality that's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Everybody wants me to do that. I'm going to go back to the other place. Because he does strike me as the kind of guy who would make that kind of decision. Absolutely. Oh, you know, no, with things sure. being relatively no, he's he's always that guy. He, he's always he's long been the guy that's always sort of been counter to what everybody wants him to do. If if you want to kind of control him or tell him he needs to do this thing, he's going to do the opposite. We we saw. I mean, anybody who's ever worked with him will tell you that's kind of his his vibe as well. And Vince McMahon would probably tell you the same thing as well. Is that when you sell Punk and try to steer Punk in one direction, he he wants to go the other, and that's just kind of the way he is. So no, I I totally believe that. I, I believe that that's absolutely a big part of it. And I think ultimately he just feels so much more comfortable in in that WWE umbrella. In a lot of ways, I mean, it, it is the place that kind of gave him what he would consider his big break, and 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 he's always, I mean, he even during during all the issues and all the the, the stuff that went on, he always was pretty complimentary of Vince McMahon. It was always Triple H was the one that he had big issues with, and obviously there would be doctors and all that sort of stuff. But he was he would never really he never really got in on Vince all that much. You know what I mean? Like he always said that he respected Vince and he still kind of thought of him as a father figure, like that sort of stuff. So I, I think at the end of the day, he's got beef with the company at large. He's got beef with Triple H. He's got beef with some other guys. But at the end of the day, if Vince McMahon made that call and said, Hey, come on, punk, come on home, pal, or whatever, that he would eventually would just say, okay, you know what? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is where I belong or, or this is where I want to be. But you're right. Absolutely. That there was probably this idea and this annoyance of everybody saying, Hey, when are you coming to AEW? Hey, are you coming to AEW? Hey, are you doing this? That, that he would say, no, 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 fuck you guys. I'm going to do the opposite now. 
I'm going to show you that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be controlled by anybody. I'm not going to be controlled by a narrative. I'm not going to be controlled by the media or anything that tells me I need to do anything. I do what I want to do. Uh, so no, I believe I, I'm sure that plays a huge part in it, but you know, ultimately the, the big thing that I kind of have a disappointment with, 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 you know, punk coming back and, and he's, he, you know, whatever he, he's fine. Like if he wants to go back and, and he's going to make more money doing it, whatever, like that's, that's his prerogative. And I have no idea what's motivating him or anything like that. But the thing is that I always had with punk is, is, and God, you can go back and listen to the show that the day he walked out, we, we were doing doing the show during that time. So I'm sure you can go back and, and, and find those episodes is it just felt like there was so much potential for what punk could have done. And I'm not saying that it was like he needed to start his own independent company or he needed to go to ring of honor. Just there was always this intrigue of, okay, punk's now gone. Here's this guy that has all this talent that, that, that is so good of a character. So good of him. And, and he's been, he's been unhappy in WWE and felt unfulfilled in WWE. Okay. What's he going to do now with that next step? And, and, and we found out ultimately that first next step for him was, was UFC, which, okay, that that's fine. Like it, it, we you know kind of got rumblings of that pretty early on and, and he trained and he did all this sort of stuff and, and he popped a, a pay-per-view number two. I, I watched the, I, how many UFC fights have I've watched in my lifetime? I, I mean, I, I've watched three pay-per-views, I think the entire life, but I, I watched that one. That was one that I made sure I watched and, and I wasn't alone. They got a lot of pro wrestling fans to watch that UFC pay-per-view and then he got his ass kicked and you know, that was kind of it. And I know he had another fight and got his ass kicked again. And then it was like, okay, what's next for punk now? And we started to see him take a little bit more, you know, wrestling convention bookings. And, and there was some rumblings that, hey, maybe, you know, and th- this is when AEW was starting to kind of gain a little bit of steam and, and all in, like, oh, hey, this is a perfect opportunity for him to call all in or Ring of Honor's out there. Like, he was now entering like a really loaded indie scene and we just didn't hear anything. We didn't hear anything. We didn't hear anything. And now we're here. And it's like, okay, we, we've had him, you know, he left January of 2014 and now it's, you know, November of 2019. And, you know, what did we get out of that period that he was gone? It, 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 to me, it just felt like an ultimate disappointment. It felt like a guy who really talked a, a big game about anti-establishment, about how unhappy I was and how much unfulfilled I was and how much I love pro wrestling. And, you know, they ruined my love of pro wrestling. We hear this from all guys all the time. And then you just don't do anything pro wrestling and then you just go right back. And it's not like the opportunities weren't there. There were a lot of opportunities out there. So it's one of these guys that, like, and I, I, I end the piece basically being like, well, I'm an idiot. You know, admitting that I'm stupid for thinking that these guys who spout this big game and Dan O'Brien, I'll throw him in the same category as well. Dan O'Brien can speak a big game about how much he loves pro wrestling and he loves this art and and how he feels unfulfilled and he doesn't love the creative and he doesn't love this or whatever. But at the end of the day, you you you're, it's all bark and no bite because at the end of the day, you go back and you sign with WWE and you go back to the same thing that you were doing before. And, and in some cases, Daniel Bryan, I mean, God damn, look at what he's been doing this last year. It's like, come on, man. Like, you, you know, so I don't want to hear that stuff anymore from guys. And, and, and you know, they can say it all they want. And, and that's fine, but I'm the idiot for believing it. I'm the idiot for believing that CM Punk truly thought that that pro wrestling, that he had a higher, you know, calling of pro wrestling or that pro wrestling was some art form or pro wrestling was this or whatever. And Dan O'Brien, the same thing too. Like these guys talk about how much they love pro wrestling and yada, 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 yada. And I'm an idiot for believing them because at the end of the day, there's all this anti-establishment stuff, all this, I'm going to break free and show the world and do all this and feel fulfilled again and live my life again. It's all bullshit because at the end of the day, you, you get a check in front of you and you sign the check and, and, and you just go for the money. And and that's cool. Like, it's fine. I get it. It's just, it's on me and it's on us and it's us as fans to, to not get ourselves sort of wound up and, 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 and you know, interested in this guy. Like, Dan O'Brien, when he left, I was super interested to see what, what was going to happen with him. You know, when the concussion stuff was going out of what's going to happen with him, he's going to break free of this company and, and, and go somewhere. When Punk left, it was, okay, he's got this opportunity to go free and do it. And a lot of times, these guys, they just, you know, they go right back. And it is, it's disappointing, but but I get it. And it, it's all on me. It's not on them. They're, they're allowed to do whatever they want, but it's on me to not really believe when these guys spot all this bullshit and 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 I think, oh yeah, these guys really care about wrestling. They really they don't. They don't care. You know, 
It's a paycheck. It's a job for them. And that's up to me to now understand that and, and, and realize that. Well, in the case of Brian, I think that I'm fairly confident that if someone asked him privately, he'd say it was a mistake that he resigned. Oh, I'm sure. Because. But he knew that. You know, you know what? Well, I, he knew that. I, I'm not letting him off the hook. I'm just saying I think he would admit that he made a mistake because, look, we've had people tell us that he's not entirely happy and that he's constantly turning down storyline ideas. And the shit that they do have him doing, which is shit, is like that's the shit that that's he accepts. Like, unbelievably, that's the good shit. Just think of all the shit. Yeah. yeah. Like he's been booked into oblivion. Like it, it's just awful usage of the guy, and it's like that's the stuff he's accepting and agree and agreeing to do at this point. You know, we've been told that he's he turns stuff down left and right. He went on his wife's podcast and floated retirement. This was a guy who went to doctors for three years and was begging to come back to this thing that he loves. And what has it been a year and a half, two years? How long has it been? Um, however long it's been yeah, around that. Yeah, and he's already, and he's already floating retirement again. And you can tell when you watch him that his heart isn't entirely in it. Why would it be? I, I think if you asked him to a man, he would admit that he made a mistake and he doesn't love what he's doing. When he first came back, he was clearly motivated and he was definitely into it. You don't get that sense now. And, and we're, we're flat out told that he turned shit down left and right. And he went out publicly and said that he's thinking about retiring again. You know, and it's like, so I think he would admit it's a mistake. In the case of Punk, I don't know. I, I you know, maybe he just doesn't want to take any more bumps. And I really do think there's some element of I'm going to do the thing that people don't expect me to do. I'm going to do the thing that people don't want me to do, you know, and I think there's some element of that uh, for sure when it comes to punk. I'm going to say one other thing about punk, too. Honestly, I think AEW is better off without him. And I know on the surface that probably sounds crazy because he's obviously an enormous star. And, yeah, I think if he showed up in AEW, he would help ratings and he would increase buy rates, all of those things. The thing about him is he's event he's the guy's a pain in the ass and he's eventually gonna turn on you. And he's eventually gonna become a problem. And let's not get it twisted. He's not the rock. He's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay? Even at his hottest, that money in the bank was a nine percent increase on business. Nice little increase, Rich. But if you remember at the time, considered disappointing. And considered not as much as people thought it was going to be based on the amount of hype surrounding mm-hmm. Yeah, the hype and the buzz was, was tremendous. And yeah, the pay-per-view numbers didn't really re- reveal and, that Yeah, too much. No, it was up a little. You know, nice little 10% bump. It was 9% was the exact number. But, but it's like he's, he's a star. Don't get me wrong. But the longer he's gone and the more mystery there is around whether he's coming back, it sort of gives this aura that he's a bigger star than he really is. And I'm not saying he wouldn't be a, a, you know, a game changer business wise. I think he would be short term, but 
you know, I don't. I I also get the sense though that he's kind of more trouble than he's worth, and eventually he'd be disruptive because he's just a pain in the ass and he's just a miserable human being. And there is something to be said for bringing someone like that, you know, into your company when they're still in the honeymoon period and everybody's still getting along and they're not having any internal strife. And this is a group of friends who put this thing together and you bring in this one element that inevitably is eventually going to be a negative element. And that's really all it takes sometimes to just disrupt the entire ecosystem. When you have one person, especially if they're a star, to where they do wield a little bit of power and they do have some stroke and they're a pain in your balls because they're miserable and one decision didn't go their way or you know, it, it's it's just that's who he is. Right, right, right. And, and like you're saying, the, the period that AEW is in right now, everyone's pulling the same direction. Like the one guy that sort of has the ability to maybe ruffle feathers and, and, and change things would be like someone like a Chris Jericho. But I think he's all in on this. I think he understands the concept, likes the concept, likes the guys he's working with, all that sort of stuff. But he's the one guy that, like in that role that if you sign Punk, it would be similar where everybody else is kind of pulling in one direction. Everybody else is sort of maybe buddy buddies or kind of came up together or respect the people that are kind of in charge. But Punk would be the lone kind of outsider right now in, in addition to Jericho. But we know Jericho and Connor, like, you know, they're, they're <laughs> as of right now, obviously uh, things are, 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 are pretty good with them. But Punk would really be coming in as a complete outsider that hasn't been a part of this wrestling scene, has not been a part of this whole thing. And, and he'd be kind of coming in. And, and yeah, he would obviously have that star aura about him and, 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 you know, for better or for worse, you know, he'd have a star aura for, you know, the audience that are watching him going, oh my God, it's CM Punk and he's back and he's in AEW or whatever. But don't think that Punk's not going to take that back with him backstage. And like you said, have some opinions about how he's booked, have some opinions about how he should be booked, have some opinions about who he should be winning or how he should be doing and all that sort of stuff. And that's well and good when everything's going well. But what we've seen with Punk is, is, and this, this dates back, I mean, God, this goes back to Ring of Honor days. This goes back to his backyard wrestling days, for God's sakes, is that when things don't go exactly the way he wants it, you you know, he, he's a guy who, who will, you know, speak his mind or whatever, for better or for worse. Sometimes he's, he's, a, he's a great wrestling mind in a lot of ways. I, 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 you know, he still is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time and, and one of the best characters, I think, of all time. And a guy who's, who's really just understood wrestling, you know, really to, to, to a, a, a great degree. But, yeah, he's a guy that can be a real big pain in the ass. And is AEW as a company, are they ready for that right now? Do they have the structure in place to deal with something like that? Whereas WWE may be the best place for him because at the end of the day, it's Vince McMahon that can say, no, you know, you can say all this shit punk, but no, too bad. Like it's not going to happen. And if you don't like it, get the hell out of here. And, and, and that could be it. Whereas AEW, you know, because of their infant stage, because of where they're at right now might, you know, might get bullied a little bit into, into doing stuff that they don't might not like by, by punk or whatever. So no, I absolutely agree. I, I don't know if he's a good fit for them right now. I, I think they're doing very well without him. And, I'm not sure he's worth the inevitable trouble that would come down the line is all I'm saying. Even if I recognize that he might be worth X amount of viewers per week and he might be worth X amount of pay-per-view buys, you know, per quarter, um, you know, but, but I don't know if it's worth what you're going to inevitably get down the line from him. I mean, this is a guy who has napalmed, you know, decades long friendships, multiple friendships i mean he just he's a hard guy to get on with man i mean by all accounts so um i I don't know if you want to bring sort of that you know it's like 
I, I don't want to use cliches or, or anything like that, but it's almost like it's like a ticking time bomb of poison that you're bringing into your locker room and you don't know when it's going to go off, but it's going to go off. And, um, you know, and then at that point, you know, you got, you got to deal with that. And, um, you know, it just brings the whole tenor of everything down. So no, I, I think they're better off without them. I, I, that I genuinely believe that. And some of that is the benefit of hindsight. Would I be saying that if they were doing 450,000 viewers a week? No. But I think they're doing well. So I don't know. I, I, I don't see the need at this point. I, and they may view it the same way, you know. Um, but, you know, if they were doing 400,000 viewers a week and, and you know, this pay-per-view, which looks like it's going to do about 100,000 buys again, which to me is a bit of a disappointment, but we'll get to that later. Actually, it's a good segue because I think we're wrapping this up anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, um, I've said everything and, I can. Yeah, about and, you know, if this pay-per-view did 40,000 buys and they're doing 400,000 viewers and TNT's on their back, I have a completely different tone here because then all bets are off and then you gamble. That's when you do gamble on people. But um, – yeah, I, I with as well as they're doing, I don't know. I think they may have dodged a bullet by Punk turning them down. And who knows how that would have affected – okay, let's say Khan is able to sign Punk for however many millions he was offering him. Maybe they can't get mocks. Maybe they can't – You know, uh, maybe they're just – there isn't enough in because remember they are operating under a budget. There's these people who live in Mister who live in like Fantasyland who think that like it's just you know the cons are billionaires and they're spending whatever they want on and they're operating under a budget. Okay, they have a fucking profit and loss sheet that they're accountable for. It. So who knows if they signed him if they even could even make some of the moves they made later. You know, with with the benefit of hindsight as well. So I can see that this is a hindsight take. You know. I'm not trying to put myself over as a genius here, um, but you know I do think they're better off without him. Now, as far as um, do you want to go right into full gear, or um, how do you want to do this? Yeah, well, I, the one thing I would kind of say is, is in your mind, and, and I'd have to go back and listen to kind of what we were saying at the time. But are you ultimately disappointed by sort of the post WWE run that that Punk went on, whatever it was? I mean, uh, literally a zero run, like. I don't know what we were saying at the time. I'd I'd be fascinated to go back and listen to his show because I, I assume at that time we're thinking, oh man, this guy, you know, New Japan's kind of up and coming. You know, Ring of Honor's still a viable company at this time. The Indies is we're in the midst of kind of that super indie or the the growing super indie, and and none of that happened. And are you a little disappointed or surprised that like nothing came of of, of the post punk run or the post WWE? Well, I, I mean, of course I would have liked to have seen him in a different environment, but I'm sure what I said at the time is what I say every time something like this happens is that I was probably pretty confident he wrestle again. Cause they always do. And, you know, even when Daniel Bryan retired in Seattle, I remember I went on the old voices of wrestling live. If people remember that with Rob McCarron after that raw. And I was pretty much the only pundit anywhere who said Daniel Bryan will absolutely wrestle again. You know, cause everybody else was mourning his, fucking head injuries and this, you know, sad moment in Seattle. And I'm like, this guy's going to find a way to wrestle. He's going to find a doctor somewhere to clear him, or he's going to let this contract run out. Daniel Bryan will wrestle again. Right. I mean, Even if he's got to go roll around with Negro Casas in Mexico, this dude's going to yes. wrestle again. Yeah, yeah. So I always say these guys will wrestle again. And I'm sure I expected punk to wrestle again. And he didn't. And now I'm not so sure. I, I think he might just, you know, he took a, 
he probably took a big paycheck from Fox and he doesn't have to take bumps. And maybe, you know, when he was telling everybody that his love for this is gone, he was telling the truth. Right, right. And that, and that's maybe where I – and the thing is, like, I'm not getting mad at, at Punk for anything. Like, I'm getting disappointed at myself and, and I feel kind of stupid for believing a lot of this stuff. But, like, yeah, at the end of the day, when he said, I've lost this passion I don't feel like wrestling ever again – it may have been like a real, like you said, genuinely like, no, they've killed my love of wrestling and I don't want to wrestle in again and I'm hurt. And, and, and yeah, like he's, he's also 41 years old now too. I mean, this is a guy like forget, the, the, when he left, he was in his, you know, mid thirties or whatever. He's 41 years old now. I mean, that, that is, that's old, you know, for a guy who either hasn't been training or has had a bunch of bumps and bruises and, and some issues along the way. And, and during that time when he was off, it wasn't like he was sitting on his couch or whatever. He was training to become a UFC fighter and getting his ass kicked, you know, along the way, I'm sure, you know, in, in, in those fight camps and obviously in those fights or whatever. So it's a guy who's, who's probably taken a lot of damage in the last few years as well. So it's possible that he said, look, you know, I want an outlet like AW, you guys are going to, if I go to AW, the idea is like, oh, he's going to wrestle, he's going to do this or whatever. And maybe WWE, maybe the offer is be a studio guy. We'll talk about wrestling down the line or whatever. But for right now, we just want you to be a talking head. And if he decided that was a better offer, then then that's great. That's fine. That's good for him uh, on that level. But yeah, he might be honest when he says, "I don't want to wrestle again." Like I, I usually like I'm you. I'm like you. I don't believe when guys say that. But you know, so far we've seen. I mean, he has been gone since January 2014, and he has not wrestled. <laughs> you know, he's he's done potential little appearances you know he had a the the thing in the milwaukee indie where people claim that he was the guy under the mask or whatever like he's done little dumb stuff like that but but he hasn't wrestled he hasn't oh, that wrestled was a match, that so. was that, that was him <laughs> what no joe he him. said it wasn't <laughs> he was wearing the same clothes earlier that day in a fan picture um but yeah i mean he did you know little things like that just to pop himself you know what i mean is probably what that was all about but i mean um, here's the thing, like you said, he's what, 41? 41 you said he's yeah, 41 yeah. years old. And, and he's about 170 pounds. He looks great. He's probably in better shape than he's been in because of, you know, the hard um, MMA training that he went through for a couple years. And now he's, he's even a, a couple years removed from MMA now. And he's multiple years removed from WWE. Rich, he probably feels better than he has ever in his adult life. You know, he hasn't taken a bump in forever. He hasn't, you know, um, if, if he's still training MMA, he's just doing it recreationally. Like people who do it stay in shape. And he looks great. So that might be a fact. You know, I, I, you know, I hang out with my wife and I call my own shots. And what the fuck do I want to go take bumps for? Especially yeah, if I don't love this thing. Go travel. Yeah, go, you know, sit on a plane and go to fucking Saudi yeah, Arabia I mean, and shit <laughs> You know, people talk about the AEW schedule, and it absolutely is a tremendous schedule. I mean, you know, you fly in for fucking Wednesday, and once a quarter, you fly in for a pay-per-view and sit in a hotel on Saturday. But, Rich, that's still two flights a week. You're flying into wherever the fuck, and you're flying home, okay? And everybody who travels knows that a, a travel day when you're getting on a plane, that day is shot. So, you know... You're flying on Monday, uh, on, on Tuesday. You're working on what well, you're sitting in the arena all day on Wednesday to work a 10 minute match at 9:30 at night. And then you're spending all day, either all night on Wednesday into Thursday morning or spending all Thursday flying back home. So, you know, you're eating up three days of your week every week, even though it's not, you know, living life on the road and you're 41 and you've been there and you've done that. And I could see why that might not hold the appeal to him. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, for a 28-year-old wrestler in their prime, the AEW schedule's where it's at. 
instead of you know, for someone like MJF out there hustling, trying to fucking get indie bookings every weekend, he don't have to, you know, Joey Janela, they don't have to do that shit anymore. They love just hopping on a plane on Tuesday and hopping on a plane on Thursday. Why wouldn't they? And making more money than they've ever made doing it. But he, he's not in that scenario. You know, so maybe it is all behind him. And at this point, I got to be honest, I, I'd be okay if he never wrestled again. I'm not hungering for him. Now, if he did decide to wrestle, of course I'd be there, and I'd be into it, and I'd want to see it, like every you know, like everyone else. But it's not something where I'm like, I have to have it. Like Daniel Bryan, I actively wanted him to come back, pretty badly, and then those feelings went away quickly when, <laughs> when he did come back. Cast, a few big cast Eli's matches will work that out of you yeah, real quick. So. Yeah, you know, when you realize that they were going to do exactly what we thought they were going to do with him and waste waste everybody's time. But um but yeah, I am okay with him never coming. If he never comes back, that's, you know, I'm not clamoring for it. There was a time where I was like, it would be real interesting if he showed up in New Japan or, or it'd be real interesting if he just, you know, popped up in PWG for the love of it or if he just, you know, if he if he was part of this new, you know, whatever this, you know, elite thing is going to be. But I don't know if I'm even there anymore with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I've kind of lost the, the the hunger for it too. I, the real moment where I did is is after All In because I I had this idea in my mind. I was like, man, can you imagine if Punk just comes out during All In and just doesn't have to do anything, throws a GTS or whatever, and like the the place would just fucking have exploded. That would have been. But he, when he didn't show up and and he was very adamant that he wasn't going to show up and he wasn't going to get involved. After that point, I was just kind of like, all right, like maybe. Maybe he doesn't care because, like, if you don't care if there's like an independent company running in your backyard and a, a new startup or whatever running in your backyard, and you truly think that you're anti, you know, you, like, you know, it was all the makings there for him to show up at all in. If he was what a lot of people thought he was or whatever, or what I maybe stupidly thought he was, that was the makings for it. That was the moment. And if once that passed and he didn't come, it was kind of like, oh, okay, well then this guy's th- then he might be done. Might, maybe I don't care. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe that's th- fine. And like again, I'm not getting mad at him for doing that. I'm just saying, okay, well maybe I had the wrong idea of what this was going to be. And once that didn't happen, it was kind of like, okay, all right. Well now I've kind of made peace with the fact that he might never return and if he returns it probably will be to WWE or whatever so I kind of made peace with that so that's why like this news wasn't really like too you know it, it, it didn't hurt me you know quote unquote it was just kind of like okay it just confirmed a lot of what I had thought for, for, for a little while which I didn't think I was going to think in 2014 when, when it felt like in that moment right after he left and after the Cabana podcast it was like oh my god this dude is ready to really shake up the game and really do all this sort of stuff and, and prove you know but then no it, 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 it wasn't the case and he tried some different things in his life and, and whatever you know it's it, it, it's fine. I, I still, I do think at some point he's probably going to wrestle again. I think at some point that money will be too big, or WrestleMania payday will be a little too bit too big. But you know, I could also see him never wrestling again as well. You know. Yeah, and I mean, if he returns to WWE, I mean, I'll be interested in that for exactly one match, right? Just to see his return and see how he does, because then in that company, it's then like anybody else who goes there, it's impossible to give a shit what they're doing. It's like. Because then he'll be on TV every week fucking wrestling fucking Baron Corbin or something, and who gives a shit? Like, it's impossible to be into it. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, that would last exactly one fucking match. Sure, right, right. Um, but, yeah. 
All right, let's get into Full Gear here. It feels like it's been months ago since Full Gear, but it was actually just last Sunday we're going to do this review here. I do want to let you know this review is sponsored by our friends at Grapple, and that's G-R-A-P-P-L is how you download that app on the Google Play uh, or the uh, Apple App Store. Uh, they did want to let us know that Grapple is one this year. They're celebrating their uh, their one-year birthday. Uh, officially launched November uh, of 2018, and they consider their launch day as the first day that they had an ad with Voice Wrestling. We are their birthday. Like, how, how incredible that is. Uh, and over that time, uh, many, many people have signed on to Grapple. Many people have given ratings. 350,000 ratings entered into the app in one year, uh, large part because of these listeners of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. So we thank you guys uh, very much for that. And, of course, Grapple thanks you uh, so much for that. Uh, end of the year, uh, they wanted us to let note this as well. Uh, they're going to be publishing the Grapple 100. This is the 100 best matches of 2019. This is not related to the Voice of Wrestling match of the year countdown. Uh, this is their one here. Uh, it's going to be sending a minimum criteria for the number of ratings. So what they said is if you guys are listening to this and if you're, you download the Grapple app and, and maybe you're, you're a user already or, or if you're just now jumping into the app or whatever, uh, there's a lot of matches in All Japan, Dragon Gate, PWG, uh, and Game Changer Wrestling that are right on the cusp of their minimum that are matches that are really good, that people love or whatever, but maybe only have 40 votes and they need 50 to get the criteria. They only have 90 votes and they need 100 or whatever. So you know they're encouraging, hey, if, if there are listeners out here that have the app or don't have the app or whatever that, that watch good matches in All Japan and Dragon Gate and PWG, G- GCW, maybe some other indies that, that that aren't quite to the level of WWE and AEW and New Japan or whatever that get a ton of ratings. Go on there and rate those matches so they can be involved in that Grapple 100 so that one of your favorite matches from you know Dragon Gate this year can get that love and, and get into that top 100, but it needs to meet that minimum criteria. So that's something they kind of said if, if people want to download the app or those that have the app, go in there, rate those uh, matches and, and, and really do you know do do, do some love and, and, and make sure that the, the Grapple 100 is not just a bunch of WWE all elite wrestling and new Japan matches. Like let, let's kind of vary it up a little bit. And we've talked about this too. We talked about it last week as well. The amount of promotions continues to grow uh, and grapple. You got AAA on there. You got AEW on there. Dragon it, as I mentioned, evolve impact, Lucha underground, MLW, OTT, uh, PWG progress, rev pro PWA in Australia, uh, even old school WCW, WWE, WXW, Smash Wrestling's on there. There's all good stuff. You can rate old school, you know, all Japan pro wrestling matches, old school New Japan pro wrestling matches, old school WWE matches, old school WCW matches. Like there is a lot of stuff on there. And of course, you can follow Joe and I as well. So you can see our ratings uh, for all the, uh, the big shows that are going on. And I'm always on there when I'm watching a big show like I was watching Full Gear. I was on there rating as I was going on and, and, and having a little bit of fun, seeing what other people rated, see how different I was, see sort of what happened. But uh, yeah, uh, good stuff from Grapple there. So they turned one this month. So. Congratulations to Grapple. And, and how do you feel knowing that they uh, they consider their birthday the day that we first ran the ad and told people to download Grapple? Now, nah, listen, this is a big-time show, Rich. I, I don't know why you're surprised, okay? It is a big-time show. That's a big-time app. And uh, they've been a tremendous promotional partner. But outside of the fact that they pay us every few weeks to, uh, to, to promote their app, I mean, I like the app anyway because I think um, stuff like this is important for just historical purposes and and tracking but look you don't live and die by the star ratings but it's nice to be able to go back and see what the consensus was six years ago on some fucking match that you haven't thought about in six years and the more places that we can do that the better i think it's 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 you know instead of just where for years everyone just and no offense to Dave Meltzer, but where everyone just kind of deferred to what Dave Meltzer said about a match. He's one person, okay? It's just one man's opinion that people take way too seriously, okay? It's just one guy. Now we have things like this uh, Grapple app 
which give us, you know, a, a better idea of consensus, the cage match ratings, and the more places where there can be sort of a collective group of ratings to just give a snapshot of what people generally thought about something to me, the better, because we do this on this show all the time where we will cross compare. Meltzer versus Grapple versus us versus Cage Match. And then we could see who was out to lunch, who may have been off, who, you know, and, 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 and you know, and see, uh, you get a good feel for what people thought about it. So I think that stuff's important, you know, and, um, you know, as much as I gripe about star ratings sometimes, it'd be a very dry and very boring sort of way if people just, uh, you know, said, it's good that we have a system, even though there's flaws in the system is what I'm trying to get. Absolutely. At. Oh, for sure. I don't like the idea of just, well, just say whether you like a match or not. Why rate it? Well, that's <laughs> boring as shit. Are you it's kidding? Boring and it's also cold. And I'd, I'd rather have a system that has flaws where we can recognize the flaws and use the flaws as part of our analysis. You know what I mean? There's, and we do that all the time on this show. We just went on that rant about how, Everything seems to be graded on the main event, world title main event scale. And that's unfortunate, but that's, but again, you can work that into your analysis and, and make that part of the overall picture of a match or a show. So I think something like Grapple has been uh, an incredible addition to sort of the insider geek world of wrestling. And um, I hope more things like this pop up, you know, not necessarily competitors to our fine sponsor. But just more things where we can get, uh, you know, uh, consensus opinion. People can can give their take on things because for so many years it was just, well, what did Dave think? You know, and, and that's not right that it was we were just so overly reliant on the opinion of one person. Absolutely well said. So G R A P P L uh, to now on the app, Google Play, uh, the Apple App Store as well. Just leave the E out of there. G R A P P L. Uh, to download Grapple and do your ratings along with us. So let's get to it here. Ah, uh, shit. That was my whole thing there was part of the ad. That was from the heart, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to kind of, yeah, hey, you know what? That was, that was good. That, I don't want people to think that that was a giant show. I, I yeah, I meant everything I said no, right absolutely. there. No, 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 we've talked, we've talked, we've had similar conversations off air and offline yeah. or whatever. Uh, uh, about Grapple, and yeah, full discord. like, we love, it. I mean, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll read just about anything if, you know, people, you know, cut the check or whatever, but Grapple's a thing that, like, legitimately I use all the time, I have my friends using it all the time, like, like I said, it is, because there, there used to be an old school style, and people still do that as well, where, you know, you have a spreadsheet, and you have your little notebook uh, that you do, well, I always had trouble, I always got bored of kind of doing the notebook thing, I always got kind of bored of doing the spreadsheet, or I'd forget and go, ah, fuck, I watched, like, ten shows, I forgot to put it in my spreadsheet, god damn it, whereas Grapple makes, I, I, I always have my phone, I'm always, like, you know, too inches away from my fucking phone at all times so it's a lot easier just to pop that thing open and, and, and do it so it is it is truly like you said a, a tremendous asset to the community so sorry that's uh <laughs> this is like a genuine ad but uh, yeah so there we i go. would love to be able to go back in time and like if something had existed in like 1992 like this and see what like some random main event in like the war promotion got as far as consensus because we don't really you know, and now because of things like cage match and grapple, in twenty years someone can do that. You know what I mean? It's like you know we have that ability. Right, now. we're cataloging history right now, which is really cool. Yes, knowing that yes, we're doing absolutely. that. Yeah, 
Because, and you can go back, like on Cage Match, you can go back and rate old stuff or whatever, but it's not from like in the moment or in the heart or whatever. And it's, it's people like you see that on Grapple too, where a lot of people go back and watch like the top All Japan matches or these top, you know, Kobashi and, and, and Masawa matches or whatever. But like, yeah, that's you going back and going like, hey, this match rules. Like, we get it. You're not watching like, all Japan Pro Wrestling TV or whatever, you know, you're not watching the shit that, 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 that sucks or might not kind of deliver or whatever, but like you're saying, we have an ability now, we're cataloging this, so in 20, 30 years or whatever, you can go back and, and look at AEW Full Gear and see what people thought of this, you know, Omega versus, uh, you know, Moxley match or whatever that, that had this barbed wire and all this sort of shit, so that's cool. It, it, it's it's kind of nice knowing that uh, that happens, but uh, let's get over to the, uh, the AEW Full Gear uh, review uh, before we kind of go match by match, Joe. What do you think overall of this show? And and you kind of mentioned a little bit at the top too. What what do you think about that uh, the pay per view buys that we've sort of we don't have an official. Uh, am I correct that we don't have an official number just yet? We have kind of rumblings of what the number might. Be. Um, we're working straight off of the estimates that Meltzer had in the Observer. That's all we have right now as of the time of this recording. And he says it's going to be somewhere around a hundred thousand buys. You know, that can change next week. We could update that if we have a more firm number. To me, that's a little bit of a disappointment because that's what they've been doing on pay-per-view. And you would think that with TV, they would have gotten a bump. So, um, look, I don't think it's a bad number. I think that was their baseline. I think you do below 100,000 and you have to start worrying about the pay-per-view concept a little bit, especially since the build was so good. You know, the Cody promo just knocked it out. At the park, I don't even know if you and I got to talk about that together because of all the issues last week. Uh, but you know, I know we both talked about it to our listeners independently. You know, both behind the paywall and on this show. But the Cody promo just knocked it out of the park. Chris Jericho has just been a phenomenal world champion, and everything he has touched in that company has been gold. So the build was good, and they still, you know, did the same number that they've been doing on pay per view. To me. The only way to analyze that is as a minor disappointment. How do you take the number? I do. Uh, yeah, same thing as well. And, and, and for the record, if people aren't kind of in the loop there, All Out had around – I forget the exact number that came out for All Out. I don't know if we ever got it, but it was it was right around 100,000. Uh, they're double or yeah. nothing, uh, 110,000, so just a little bit above uh, what All Out yeah. had. But yeah, if this is kind of in that same range – what it tells you again is that, yeah, it's in the same range, which at some point, where's this growth coming from? Like, you can't, are you going to be able to sustain the same 100,000 people buying your pay per views every single month? Like, yeah, I, I, you know, no, you don't I'm want sure that. They, so, well, I'm sure they'd be thrilled with that, but the thing is, you expect growth now that you're on TV. Exactly, right. That's, like, that, that's, yeah, it'd be great to have the same 100,000 people buy every single month, but like, you know, realistically, you want to start expanding. You want to start growing as costs continue to mount up and as, as things go, like, you know, at, at some point, they're going to look, like you said, it's it's not an unlimited, you know, cash flow here. They want to turn a profit at some point. It's not going to happen now, and it's not going to happen maybe for for another year or so. But like at some point, you want to see that growth. You want to see the indicators go. Hey, we're growing. Hey, people are watching. More people are, are checking us out. The the TV is, is doing well. Being our appearances on NBA and TNT is helping. Like these sort of things are helping. And the ratings are. And, and we can talk about. I guess we can kind of loop it into the ratings as well. The ratings are are, are good. Like they're not bad at all. I mean, they're they're, they're right around you know the nine hundred thousand. This is what they were this week or whatever. But we're not seeing. I, I think an exponential growth yet and particularly in the pay-per-view buys i find that very interesting that they haven't been able they're maybe getting some ebbs and flows and they're getting some roller coaster rides in terms of like the, the weekly tv ratings and yeah that's those are steady numbers and and, and they're de- you know decent and good numbers but you want to at some point convert those people into pay-per-view buyers you want those people to give you 60 dollars every single month for the rights to this that you want people that, that are really embedded in this program and embedded in this company to want to drop that money down and, and buy those and and yeah again you're not going to get like upset at a hundred thousand 
you know, pay-per-view buys, that's pretty damn good. But at what point are you going to say, okay, when are we going to start growing this number? When is this going to get to 150 to 200,000? Like, is that a possibility? It's just, yeah, it is, it is kind of tough that, that full gear and, and, and these most recent ones haven't seen that big of a rise quite yet. That, that is definitely worrisome. Well, the question, the question then becomes, can you even do that many pay-per-view buys in this day and age? Um, if you look at boxing and MMA, the answer is yes, you can do that many buys. And, and, and even at a, a much higher price point than what AEW is charging. I think that people are a little misguided when they say, well, no one's going to pay $50 for, for pay-per-views in this day. And well, people do all the time for, for, you know, uh, combat sport. I mean, people pay a hundred dollars for boxing pay-per-views and they do, you know, a million and a half, two million pies. So, um, you know, so it's like, I, I, I never take that kind of thing seriously. We, we had tremendous debates on this show concerning pay-per-view pricing and, and, and whatnot. And, um, in, in the past, you know, when we were in the lead up to what was it all outs or double or not, I forget which one. Um, I guess it doesn't matter, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it but the, the flip side of that is, has WWE network been nine ninety nine for so long that, that there is a cap on the number of people who are willing to fork over, uh, you know, between 20 and $50 for a wrestling pay-per-view just based on the precedent that WWE has sent for the last five years. That's the little caveat to that uh, because MMA fans and boxing fans, you know, they don't, they, they, we don't have that comparison point for those two sports. But um, my personal opinion is that if you have something that people want, they're going to pay for it and they're going to buy it. And it's, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, they want to grow this pay-per-view side of the business. I think that ratings-wise, they're – I mean if they settle at 900000 a week, a million a week, somewhere in that neighborhood, and that's pretty much what they're going to do, I think they would be thrilled with that. I think TNT would be thrilled. Um, the 100000 pay-per-view buys, yeah, I, I think they probably expected to do more. Yeah, it is. It the, as far as the pricing, and we we kind of mentioned that too when, when W Network launched all those years ago. Is that you know setting that price is going to be tough. Like you're really going to have to prove that that what you offer on pay per view is dramatically different and 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 and, and worth you know that amount of investment and that amount of money. Because no, I mean you, you can't deny that like the idea of okay now pay pay us sixty dollars for this pay per view is tough. Like I have buddies who were saying, well, how much is that pay per view? And I you know I'd say oh sixty bucks, and they go oh ooh, ooh, I don't know, man, like. You know, it's ten bucks a month for you know, WWE Network, and I, and I get it. It's absolutely it is tough selling. That that is AEW's had. I think I, I want to say they've done a good job of getting at least a hundred thousand people, well, to give them that amount me, of money. I mean, that's that's incredible. They but. have, but, oh, but that anecdote with your friends, what that tells me is AEW hasn't done a good enough job creating a card that's worth that much money in their eyes. That's all. I you know, it, it's to, to, see that's where I come at it differently. I think. Now that's on AEW to present something that's worth fifty dollars. How much are they even charging for these pay per views? Because we keep saying different amounts. I, I don't even well, know the answer. I, to that. I think I pay because I bought the HD pay per view for full gear. I paid sixty. I'm almost positive I paid sixty. Okay, because we're just clicking the button and watching. I'm. I don't know about you. I don't even look at the. I just click the button. I, I, I quickly do, and I go, ooh, <laughs> I go, man, like. I'm gonna slide in the t- Tony so DM. Sixty dollars for the HD. I believe it is. Yeah, for, I'm almost five. Fifty nine ninety nine is 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 what I paid. So, 
Okay, so it's like to me, then you know, that's on AEW to present something that people think is worth sixty dollars, um, which a hundred thousand people. Now, there's that. Now, the other thing is Dave's report was very confusing because it was written in Dave language, and I don't know if that hundred thousand is. Sh- I don't think it was strictly pay per view buyers. It may have included like because they're selling it on. Aren't they selling it on Fight or, or Bleacher Report Live? Right, yeah, BR Live is it. on there too. But again, it's it's the same price on BR Live, so it's like you know. Oh, it is. Okay, I, I, it, I, it might be a slight difference or something like that. But I've always said, and, and we've said too. I just like you know, hitting a button on my couch and and boom, it's there and it's recording on my DVR. Or whatever. It's a lot easier. So. But the BR Live, they're also not splitting it with the pay-per-view distributors, so I'm sure they would rather have you buy it there than buy it through whatever your fucking cable company is or or whatever the fuck. But um, that's neither here nor there. But, um, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing is if they're doing them quarterly, you know, you also got to consider it's like you're paying $9.99 for the network, but you're paying it every month. So, but you're also getting way more content with the network. You're getting a constant stream of content every day if you're keeping that. And if you just want to drop in for Survivor Series, I don't know why you'd want to do that. You could get it for nine ninety nine. You know what I mean? So, um, there's there's that aspect too. But um, I don't know. Uh, you know, to me, again, the number was slightly disappointing. For sure. So let's uh, let's go over some of these uh, these matches here. We'll we'll start right at the top here. I think kind of work our way uh, down as well. We'll start with the uh, oh my god, this hellacious oh the worst match in, in history, the most bloody match, the most dangerous match in history. I I could not believe because I I watched it the day after. Um, I watched it on Sunday, uh, and I could not believe when I, I saw the tweets that were like, oh oh my god, I can't believe these guys are doing this, and oh my god, and all this sort of just like giant rigmarole about this lights out match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega and then I watched it and I was like that's what everybody was going nuts about like it was fine but it was just a hardcore match like it wasn't like you know we'll talk about the match itself I really enjoyed it but like yeah it was just a hardcore match like I could not believe the the stuff I was hearing and seeing about oh my god how disgusting and we've gone well overboard with this wrestling and oh we've gone too far and I'm like what like this is the match that you're going to say that for this match so I don't know did you have a similar thought as well when when, when you kind of heard the narrative around it because I know you watched it you know a, a few days after uh, the, the show actually aired had you had heard any of that stuff or were you able to kind of stay away from from, from that sort of narrative before you watched the match itself or, no, or what do you think or do you think it was disgusting and, and and grotesque i heard all the talk around it and i'm somewhere in the middle i didn't think it was like some kind of extreme death match because it wasn't it was not a death match i think you used the right word it was a hardcore match this was essentially like an old school ECW style hardcore match more than it was a big Japan death match. It was not a death match. Um, with that said, I think this is a case of one of those things where people see extreme opinions and they go way too far. The pendulum swings too far in the other direction. And I think we had too many people saying that it was, Oh, it was safe. They didn't do it. No, it was a pretty dangerous match, which had some pretty gross stuff, but it wasn't even close to like, you know, the barbaric, uh, super dangerous death match that the other side was presenting it as. So I'm somewhere in the middle. Look, I thought it was kind of gross. Whether it was gimmicked, barbed wire or not, they're, they were stomping that shit into each other's backs. And that's gross. And their backs were bleeding. And, you know, they're crawling. And whether it was fucking sugar glass or not, they're crawling through glass. And that's fucking gross. And, you know, the spider web of fucking barbed wire is not a pleasant bump to take. Was it fucking Jimmy Lloyd 
blowing a brain buster on top of a fucking ladder through panes of glass with G-Raver and G-Raver almost dying? No, it wasn't that. And quite honestly, I think everybody's glad it wasn't that. Okay? Was it, you know, a big Japan deathmatch with cinder blocks and and razor blades and fucking saws and the shit we're going to talk about later and 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 um, and needles going through people's cheeks. No, it wasn't that. But at the same time, it wasn't some WWE no DQ match either, like some people were presenting it as with you know breakaway fucking uh, stage spots and everything super sick. No, it was so I fall somewhere in the middle when it comes to the uh, the, the 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 danger aspect uh, of the uh, lights out match. Now, uh, as far as the match itself, the the, the actual result of it, I, I really liked this match. I, I thought there were some points that got a little slow, and I was getting a little bored, but I thought they ramped it up. I mean, it was a long match. It was 38 minutes and 46 seconds, which, I mean, you really could have cut off, like, a good 10 minutes of that match. Some of the stuff, like, some of the long setups to, to you know, getting the mousetrap out and doing this sort of stuff, I could have really lost a lot of that stuff. And I think the match context, it's, it, it, the really, the match overall, I think it, 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 it did lose a little bit from those moments. But, but all in all, like, the beginning I really liked. Uh, you know, the end I loved, and, and I ended up rating this thing. I, 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 I was very close, very close to going to five stars. I really did enjoy it that much. I ended up going four and, and, and three quarters because it felt at times like it got a little too long. But at the end of it, I was excited. I mean, I thought it was a tremendous match. I thought those guys told a great story in the ring. And, and yeah, there was maybe a little bit too much, and they maybe went a little too far in some ways. But I think it was also like some of the stuff they did, too, was just just tremendous you know, pro wrestling and, and, and tremendous sort of back and forth stuff. And you really got the idea that these guys were in a fight and in a war or whatever. So I loved that aspect of it. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a tremendous match. But uh, where did you kind of land on on it ultimately? Like you, I thought it was a little, little long. And um, there were points in the match where um, if I'm grabbing for my phone, it's a little long. And you're not holding my attention all the way through. And there were a couple points where I was um, uh, tempted to grab at my phone. So that's usually my barometer if a match is holding my attention or not. Because then there's matches where I never grab for my phone. And those are matches where I'm completely enthralled in the story and I'm not even thinking about my phone um, and this one I was grabbing for my phone it was a little long I think that there was uh, uh, very good storytelling this wasn't just to me this wasn't just setting up a series of stunts and that's kind of the trap that a lot of uh, guys fall into when they do matches like this I mean you know the idea is it was the glass from the table that Kenny was DDT through on right. Dynamite you know a month ago or whatever and um you know, and they didn't, it wasn't just like your turn, my turn. There were transition spots and everything. Right, the barbed wire broom. Uh, we, we'd seen that and established that, and that's established through the cleaner character of Kenny Omega. So, so yeah, there were some. There were more storytelling elements to this than say just some random game changer death match on fucking that streaming on Saturday night, where you know guys like Jimmy Lloyd and G Raver are just you know coming close to legitimately dying because they don't know what they're doing and they're trying things that are too ambitious and they're just. You know, doing things for shock value. That's this wasn't a match that was simply done for shock value. Um, you know, obviously they did some things that I think a lot of fans probably haven't seen before. But th- there was a storytelling element to this, and um, you know, I, I thought it was a, a really good match. I didn't like it as much as you. I don't think it was um, match at a year level. And and if you went four and three quarters, then you know you do. Yeah, I went four and a quarter on it. Um, you know, I went four and a quarter because I thought, you know, it was definitely worthy of being, you know, the old, uh, you know, going into the notebook. But uh, I didn't think it was match at your level. 
Uh, it's actually interesting here. There's there's a lot of of, of it's a very diverse match too, or, or a very divisive match, I should oh, yeah. say here. Uh, Dave, so Dave and the Observer, despite the fact that he said he hated the match, gave it four and a quarter or four and a half stars, I should say. So it was a weird thing where he said he hated it, then he rewatched it and said I hated it, but the fans liked it, so it was good type thing. So I don't know what the hell was kind of going See, on in Dave's okay. mind there. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of translating for people when it comes to Dave, but oddly, I completely understand what he's saying. What Dave is saying is. He hates that they did all that shit, and because of that, he hates the match. But he recognizes that it was well-worked, and he recognizes that they did a good job, and he recognizes that the match was over. I really don't understand why it's so hard for people to understand what he's, what he's saying there because I understood what he meant immediately when he said that. But, of course, then he goes on for half a day arguing with people, and it just muddles it up. But I understood it. I understood exactly what he was saying. Like he doesn't sure, want to yeah. see those kinds of matches. But he I, thought it was a it was well done. Yeah, and, I get and, it. It, it. It becomes an issue with rating, and, and I know he thinks that ratings are objective, and that he's got he has to rate it like this because it was. And and that's where I get a little weird. Is it's like if you don't like the match, just it's cool. Like you don't have to like the match. You can just say, hey, look, I didn't like this match, so you know I appreciate what they did, but I, it wasn't my thing, and, and and give a rating. But the idea is that he feels like, and he and he said this as much as well, and it, it's caused some point of contention that that he feels his ratings are objective, and it's like there's some you know invisible hand that is making him rate something this way because even if I didn't like it, the fans liked it, and it was a good match, and it was objectively good. Match. Match, and that I, I think ruffles some feathers, and people don't quite understand that all that much. And and I do okay, well, get it to an a point, but that's just not how I approach it. Okay, let me ask you this: Why does anyone care? No, I don't. You're asking me why people give a that's, shit. I don't know, man. Like, why do you care what this what this man's thought process is as to what he rated this? Like, why did at some point? Okay, there's curiosity. Hmm. He said he hated it, but he said he liked. But then once he explains it, at that point, Rich. I don't know about you. I stopped caring. Okay, he explained it. And then I either agree with him or I don't. And I move on with my day. I don't understand. Yeah, but you need likes, Joe. You need to get likes. (laughs) You have to get likes and retweets. Are you kidding? The lifeblood. No one, it's like, okay, it's like, if, if, if someone did that to me, if someone came into our Twitter feed and argued with us about what we rated matches, Rich, I'd just fucking block them. I'm not dealing with that. I tell you what I thought about the match on this show, and I, I don't ever think about it again. Dave has even said stuff like that where he's like, I rate a match and don't think about it. But it's like he'll tweet about it for another week when people harass him about it. So, so that's not even true. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't know. I knew what he meant immediately because I, I've gone through that similarly. Like I'll watch like – a good example is like a grapple fuck match, right? Where it's not my fucking cup of tea. But if it's really well worked and I can recognize it's well worked, I definitely rate it higher than what my enjoyment level was. So I can't sit here and be a hypocrite and say I don't understand why Dave said that. Because I do understand. Because I've seen grapple fuck matches where I've said, eh, that bored the shit out of me, but it was really well worked and whatever other reason. So it's fucking three and a quarter or it's three and a half. When if I'm just rating it on my pure enjoyment, I'd give it a fucking one or a dud because I hate that shit. It bores me. So do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so- no, I, I get it. Totally. I, I've done the same thing as well. And I, I usually – I think there was a time where I was like sort of an objective rater. But I think in, in my recent years, I've just decided, hey, did I enjoy this match or not? All right, here's what it is. You, you know, like, and, yeah. and that's the way I've gone. But people approach it differently. That's why it's not a universal scale. Uh, yeah, I mean, I tried board. to be fair about it. Like, like, just because a match wasn't for me, if they accomplished what they were trying to accomplish and it was well worked, I'm not going to sit here because I think it's to me. I think it's it's um, it's dishonest for me to say 
that Jonathan Gresham and whoever, Timothy Thatcher, I don't even know if that's a real match, but if that Gresham and Thatcher had a match, there's a good chance that I might not dig it as much as other people. But I know that those two guys are going to go out there and have a well-worked match. I think it's dishonest for me to say, oh, that was a fucking dud, just because I didn't like it. Right, right. Like, that's just a... That's just my taste. You know what I mean? Like, that's... And if you want to rank on your taste, if you want to star rate based on your taste, I, I don't even have a problem with that. I'm just saying that I don't always star rate simply based on my taste and how much I enjoy. Listen, and it works the other way too. If I go to my fucking local indie this weekend and the opener is a four-way spot fest that I enjoy the fuck out of, I'm not giving it five stars. Even if I enjoyed the shit because – if the work was sloppy and there was no story whatsoever, I'm sorry, that's not a five-star match. There's a cap to what I'm going to give a match like that. Even if I enjoy that more than Gresham and Thatcher, I might rate Gresham and Thatcher higher. So maybe that makes me the same kind of fucking weirdo that Dave is, and maybe that's why I understood his point and other people didn't. There you go. I think it's a good way to put it. So I'm going to add that to your monikers next week. So would you say a big fucking weirdo? or <laughs> I forget. Yeah, maybe I'm a fucking big weirdo like Dave, but was my point clear? Did I make sense no, when I laid that no, out? I no, mean, you absolutely did. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's obsessive Dave people. So it's 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 yes, it it's is. another week. So yes. we'll have another obsessive Dave week next week and then another obsessive Dave week the next week after that. So it is what it is. But uh, cage match uh, inmates, 8.82 on this and the grapple users, uh, interestingly enough, 4.15. So they're kind of uh, a little bit below you and very far below me as well. So I was kind of interested to see that, uh, that rating there for 4.15. Uh, on Grapple for that Lights Out match. But let's move over to uh, the AEW World Title match here. Uh, Chris Jericho defeating Cody, uh, 28 minutes, 38 seconds. There was this worry that because the judges were there that, oh, my God, they're going to go 60 minutes or whatever. And, like, I I mean, I knew that Chris Jericho would go in 60 minutes in 2019. But there was still this worry of, okay, why are they doing the judges? And it's actually kind of an interesting way that they went about this. And I know some people had a lot of tough time, like, kind of figuring this out or whatever. I think WWE Brain has, has, has done a lot to, like, rot wrestling fans. And like wrestling fans' brains are just like like the stuff that they did. Like all they do is established in a few draws that hey, these matches can end in draws. That's all they did. On a few TVs, there was a draw. A few matches, there was a draw. So they said, hey, look, there's a world title match. We don't want this thing to end in a draw. You're going to get a winner no matter what. And that's what the judges are for. So the judges come out, they get a pop, and that's all it's for. It's just to let you know that you're going to get a result. Someone will win this title. Chris Jericho will retain the title, or Cody will win the title. But the idea that, oh my god, if they're saying it might be a draw, it's going to be a draw. It's like, no, they're just saying that we've had draws on TV, and just letting you know confidently that you're going to get a winner on this night. You're going to get a champion crowned at the end of this night you're not getting a draw so that's all it was so i saw a lot of freak out about oh my god they're gonna go 60 minutes with it chris jericho's not going 60 minutes in 2019 it's just not gonna happen but uh it's, 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 i ahead, talk yeah. about this behind the paywall i talk about this behind the paywall all the time on the thursday tv reviews people freak out about everything AEW does because they're viewing it through a wwe lens because they've been conditioned to view things through a wwe lens for the last 20 years if WWE said that their world title match had a 60 minute time limit and three judges rich, that fucking match is going to the judges. You can write it down before it even fucking Absolutely. happens. So that's why people said that. I never thought for a second this match was going to the judges. Uh, just like the time limit draws freaked everybody out. Oh my God, they're doing time because WWE doesn't do time limit draws. Just like the roll up finishes in the tag team title tournament freaked everybody out. And people thought that that was like a cheap win. For Scorpio Sky and Kazarian when they beat Pentagon and Phoenix with the roll-up. 
But again, you're viewing it through the WWE lens because whenever they do a small package finish, it's when the baby face gets a cheap banana peel win. This isn't WWE and people have to stop viewing things through a WWE lens. They are reconditioning you to the AEW lens, to the AEW uh, established storytelling methods in canon. And people really need to get that through their heads. Stop viewing the things that this company does through a WWE lens because you're you're totally going to miss the story that's happening in front of you when you do that. Right. When let let them tell you the story. Mind. Let them tell you their story. Don't sort of assume what's going to happen. Like you got you have to kind of recondition your brain or go back to your brain or whatever it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago before this stuff kind of got so rotted and so used cuz yeah, another example as well and, and I saw a lot of freak out this week as well and I was like, "Holy shit, guys, like get an idea of what's going on here is is when Scorpio Sky pinned Jericho in the main event of Dynamite and I saw people going, "Oh my god, the world champion lost and all that sort of stuff yes the world champion lost in a tag match to a tag team wrestler but guess what's going to happen that world champion is going to face that tag team wrestler in a singles match and he's going to beat him because he's the world champion he's going to beat the world he's going to beat the tag wrestler in a singles match but the tag wrestler has has a little bit up on him in a tag match there's nothing wrong with that story there's nothing wrong with your champion losing a match that he's going to eventually win because the winner is going to win and like people go to all the 50 50 booking the 50 50 booking is not in inherently in a sample size of four matches guys go back and forth it's the same thing with the pocket and and, and page thing we're gonna talk about that a little bit later 50 50 booking is like years uh, months and or whatever of guys win guys lose guys win guys that's what it was but having going 50 50 but then one guy winning and definitively quote unquote winning a feud is not 50 50 booking chris jericho is going to beat scorpio sky and prove that he is better than him in a singles match capacity that is not 50 50 booking just because scorpio sky beat him in a tag match so there's again like it's it's kind of broken brain thing and i get it i get why people are this way there are people and i say this all the time there are people who have never watched any wrestling except what WWE's presented them. Right. You know, that's all they've ever seen. That's all they've ever consumed. And I get it. I get why you're that way, but it's like, you, you, you let these guys tell you the story. And I get, it's going to take a while to get reconditioned or whatever, but let these stories be told and don't immediately jump to the conclusions by saying, oh, they're going to do this because this is what WWE does. They're not, they've proven yeah. that they're not going to do what WWE does in a lot of ways. And at this point, it's basically adults too. It's like anyone under 25 has only known one style of presenting American wrestling. So that's why people are thinking like, and it, it's not just a tag wrestler, Rich. It was the tag team champion. Of right. course, he should be. It's it. It shouldn't be a shock that he's a better tag team wrestler than Chris Jericho, who's a singles wrestler predominantly. And and yeah, he's. And did you notice someone pointed this out? And I, I want to know if you picked up on this because I did not. I can't take credit for it. I saw this on Twitter. Remember when Jericho first won the title and he was walking around backstage, the bubble thing, where he ended up doing the little bit of the bubble, right? But before he got to the bubble, he was walking around and just like talking shit to people randomly. There was one bit where he approached Scorpio Sky and he said, see this title? You're never going to get a shot at this. And Scorpio Sky just kind of scowled at him. Rich, that's fucking, I don't know if that was on purpose, but I have to assume that it was. That's fucking awesome. That is great. Yeah, I did not know that until people pointed it out, and then I, I saw the clips or whatever, and I was like, fuck, that's great. That's that's for wrestling, man. That's the wrestling that I love is, like, just that little bit of nugget that happens five weeks ago will matter, you know, today. Whether it was is intended to matter or not, you can go back and pull up the video and go, hey, this happened, and use it. You know, whether you wanted it at that point, to, if that was the long-term story or not, whatever, you got it, use it. I, I love that. That was great. And look, this is not the first time they've pulled shit like this they do it on being the elite all the time okay so it's like 
that tells me that they are legitimately doing long-term booking and have long-term ideas already in the holster that they're just allowing to play out on their television now, which is fucking great. Rich, this is always what we've wanted. I'm not saying AEW has been perfect because it hasn't been, but the little things like this and you know the roll-up finishes that aren't treated like they're banana peels and all of these things, like the, the, the possibility of time limit draws and and dropping little hints that pay off months later. This is all the stuff that we've wanted in pro wrestling. This is still a brand new company that's been on TV for like six or seven weeks and has had one pay-per-view since they've been on TV. I suggest that you all just sit back, take a deep breath, watch the show every week, and allow them to craft this world for you. Because so far, they've done a tremendous job reinventing American television wrestling back to what it used to be in a lot of ways with some new forward-thinking ideas sprinkled in. Absolutely. And that's why, to me, I've enjoyed this company so much. And on this pay-per-view, I mean, overall, I thought this was a great pay-per-view. I don't think it was Double or Nothing. I think Double or Nothing is a show of the year contender. But I do think that because it just felt so special and, and it was kind of their coming out party and all that. But this one, I thought, wasn't very far behind. I've got three notebook matches out of seven matches, and I don't have anything lower than three stars. Yeah, let's move on to this one here because I'm right with you here. Chris Jericho and Cody, uh, the match itself, uh, of course, people did not see. I'm, I'm sure at this point you've seen it or whatever. The Chris Jericho retains uh, the title, defeating Cody. Cody in the stipulation as put forth in the match is that now he will no longer be able to, to, to challenge for the world title. We'll see how long you know that stipulation holds. You know, Dave Meltzer was kind of saying that he thinks it's going to be a while or whatever. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. There might be something where, where somebody goats him into you know letting it go or, or whatever. But yeah, still a pretty uh, you know. Hopefully they stick with that for a little bit and at least establish uh, that stipulation. But the match itself, I thought was a tremendous match. I mean, this was you know I went four and a quarter with this i really really liked it i think the unintentional blood uh cody spilling into the ramp again cody is like the master of unintentional blood at this point like his father was the <laughs> master of intentional blood cody somehow some way will find a way to cut his ass open without even trying and make the match that much better by doing it but uh yeah i thought this was really good i thought chris jericho was exceptional in this match too that's not taking nothing away from cody but i think this was might have been chris jericho's best performance i've seen in years from him i thought he was so good in here this this felt almost as good as what he was in those you know the, the first omega match uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, I mean that level of good. Uh, you obviously have the you know the, the the lion tamer spot at the end. You have Cody's mom getting involved and slapping Jericho and telling him to go fuck himself or fuck you or whatever. You got that Cody entrance, so he's coming out with like fucking nine thousand. There's flames. There's pyro. He's rising from a, a stage and a like a, a yeah, like you said, you want to come out that way. I I don't know if it's in our budget, Joe, to have you have that much pyro every time the show starts. But yeah, he's coming out like a fucking god these days. And you get the lion tamer spot. You get MJF thrown in the towel and then the MJF turn. But uh, before we talk about the turn itself, uh, what do you think of the Jericho uh, Cody match itself? Yeah, I thought it was a great world title match. And yeah, the accidental blood absolutely helped it. Um, it always does. Added a ton to it. Um, I went four flat on it. Notebook match for me. Um, and the thing about it is, it's like, <sighs> I can't believe we still have people who think Cody isn't good. And it's like, I'm not saying he's great. Because he's not great. I'm not saying he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Because he's not. But how many times does this guy have to deliver in the big spot before people stop dragging their feet? I mean, you put him in a big spot, you're getting a big spot performance. Every time. It doesn't matter if it's Nick Aldis. It doesn't matter if it's uh, this match against Chris J. It doesn't matter. Cody in a big spot delivers. And a lot of that is his crowd connection. 
But you know what? That counts. That's part you of fucking wrestling. That. Welcome to pro wrestling. Yeah, you earn that. You earn that crowd connection. Okay? And and that exactly, that is what pro wrestling is all about. Drawing emotion from the crowd. And his and his raw you know, his you know, strictly like his wrestling ability, he's fine. He's not a bad pro wrestler in any way. In what way is he a bad pro wrestler? Again, that doesn't mean I'm saying he's a great one. But at worst, he's average. Look, he's not super athletic. He's got average athletic ability. Okay? He's not the greatest fucking bump and sell guy I've ever seen, but he's perfectly competent at it. He's not the best brawler I've ever seen, but he's shown that he could brawl at a perfectly competent level. You know, it's like he's he's an he's pretty much a average to slightly above average wrestler who has an incredible crowd connection. Yeah, I, I, I've likened him uh, to... to- He's he's clutch. You know what I mean? Like he's not like the season will go on and you're like, yeah, he's fine. He's fine or whatever. But come World Series time, that dude's roping a fucking bases clearing double for you because it's just like no matter what. And you're like, God damn, that guy did it again. I can't believe it. He's like he steps up and he 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 knows how to hit the big moments. He knows how to strike the right chords at the right time. The stuff in between is not going to blow your doors off. It's not going to be spectacular stuff, but every single moment that he hits and every single kind of thing that he hits perfectly or, 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 or crowd thing he does perfectly or, or, or one move that he does perfectly, it's, it's all about that sort of stuff. He's, he's, he's honed in on that. He's not going to be the weekly guy that's going to go out there and just completely blow the doors off every single week with four-star matches and all that sort of stuff, but on big moments in big matches, he's going to strike the right chords every single time, and we're seeing that. Lately, he's on a he's on a hell of a run now. He's on like, got a year long, year and a half long run now. Where those big time matches, he just fucking delivers. And yeah, if if you can't <laughs> believe, like we're saying that Joe <laughs> Joe and Rich, who yeah, I mean, was six not- years of us calling this guy shit, you know, if we have decided finally that man, this guy's just getting it. He's starting to kind of click a little bit. Like we are the you know the biggest you know you know critics of him for all those years. But like, how do you deny this? How do you deny that that he's just it's just working in these main events for him right now? Okay, so we lost connection there for a second, but um, basically what we're saying is if you think Cody's a bad wrestler, I don't know. I don't, I, I, you don't know what you're watching. So um, you're supposed to laugh there, Rich. Don't, don't let me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, to, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, uh, you know. Just, <laughs> yes, the point. Uh, I forget that, yeah, it was like 10 minutes <laughs> later. I was like, oh, yeah, right, right, right. I was like, what well, Cody? I, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but that was that was yeah. good stuff. But no, that's. Uh, you know, I, I it, it, but, uh, in some yeah, ways, yeah. in some ways, I think he's very similar to his father. Now, he's not even half the star that his father was. That's not what I'm suggesting. But nobody thought Dusty Rhodes was a world beater bell to bell either. No, you know what but I then mean? in the big matches, his whole thing, fucking live and died by every move that he made because he was uh, he had a great connection to the crowd and great connection to you, the viewer. That's it. Yeah. And I think Cody is very similar in all those respects. He just doesn't have, obviously, the, the all-time elite-level charisma that his father had but very similar um, style of wrestlers in terms of how they get it done in the big match. Absolutely. Now, this had the big real turn. Quickly, well, real quickly, I do want to go over uh, Grapple. So you went four flat. I went four and a quarter. Grapple users, 4.05. Yeah. So right in kind of the same range uh, as us as well. So yeah. it is it is a little slightly under the main event for, for the top match of the night, but uh, pretty interesting there, 4.05 uh, for Jericho and Cody. But, yeah, let's, let's go over the turn right now, the MJF turn. So they throw in the towel. MJF throws in the towel which is how Cody ends up uh, losing the match. As far as the stipulation, I know you alluded to it. I think they're going to adhere to it. I think they're going to establish that stipulations matter and that they're real. And what better way to do that than to establish one right out of the gate with the most popular babyface in the company 
um, adhering to the stipulation that he can never challenge for this title again. Rich, I think they're going to honor it. Are you a little – you think they're going to find a loophole five years from now? Or Yeah, I, I do think like – do I want to say – Do I can, can I definitively say right now that in the entire history of AEW that Cody will never have another title shot? I don't buy that. I, I don't believe that. But the next year, the next two years, yeah, I think they can easily do that. I think it's very easy to adhere to that in the short term. Four or five years down the line, I feel like you're eventually going to be tempted to, hey, okay, we, let's have let's have Cody you know, go for that mix or whatever. But I do hope that they stick with it for the, the the short term. And I have every reason to believe that they will. Like this is this is a company so far that is not showing that they're going to tell you something and then lie about it and then just go the other way. They have sort of shown and established that these sort of things matter. And and like you said, there's no better way to establish that something matters than slapping that big of a stipulation on one of your biggest stars right off the bat is is an interesting way to go about it and I'm sure it's a little bit of a challenge for Cody as well thinking hey look my dad and we, we talked about this you know uh, last week as well or, or, or a few weeks back is that you know hey my dad wasn't really a guy that was always in the title mix in the title mix or always a guy going for the titles he was a lot of chasing for the titles he was a lot of doing other sort of stuff and maybe Cody sees it as a challenge of like hey it'll be cool to kind of do other stories that don't revolve around that title you know, again, like, can I definitively say in five years' time they're not going to find a way to, around it, and there's not going to be a heel that says, "Oh, who cares about the stipulation, Cody? I want you right away." Like, they're gonna, I think they're gonna break it eventually, but yeah, in the short term, it, it's pretty cool that they've done that and established that, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see uh, if they do stick with it in, in, in the short term. I don't know. I think this is one of those Tony Khan things, and I believe in Tony Khan. I think he's a wrestling nerd. I think it probably bothers him that stipulations have become meaningless. And I think in his wrestling promotion, I think he wants to establish that stipulations matter. I, I, I truly believe they're going to adhere to it. I don't think Cody cares if he ever holds that title. And um, I don't think Cody needs to hold that title. He's going to be over regardless. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to go different. I, you know, and it'll never be, you know, unless we're doing this show for the next 20 years, I guess uh, we'll never <laughs> find out who was right. But, uh, and I know you don't want to be doing this show for the next 20 years. But um, I'm okay with that, though. No, Let's I'm, I'm fine with that. No, 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 years. it's fine. I, I joke. All jokes aside, that'd be great if we're doing it for 20 more years. I hope I'm, st- I hope I'm still not punching a clock 20 years from now and then coming home <laughs> and doing the show. But, you know, hey. That's... Hopefully this thing starts to fucking pay off a little bit after 20 years. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think they'll adhere to it. But as far as, um, you know, a lot of people were saying because MJF threw in the towel, that's kind of their out if they want to get out of the stipulation. Right. I didn't but, lose. You know, some he of the forced me to lose, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but some of the executive vice presidents went on Twitter and said unequivocally, no, we are sticking to the stipulation. He lost the match. He's never getting a title shot again. So they kind of shit on that as well. Um, as far as the turn itself, <sighs> what, do you think it came a little too soon? Uh, I do. I I, I, I do. And I, I think this, honestly, and, and I mentioned it in the preview portion of the, of the podcast we did uh, last week on the overrun, is I thought the stipulation came a little too soon. I think that maybe you established that stipulation after a few. You, know, you have Jericho and Cody have one match, and, and you know Hager interferes, or Hager does something shitty or whatever, and Jericho gets the win that way. Then, okay, then Cody gets, you know, or, or whatever way you want to do it. Some way where the final thing is like, okay, look, I want this title match. I want this shot or whatever. And that's when he kind of goes and, and, and we had that stipulation. And the same sense with the MJF turn. I, I wanted a little bit more hints. I wanted a little bit more, you know, kind of sprinkles there. And I think you could tell that story over the course of telling the story of this Jericho-Cody feud. I think this Cody-Jericho feud easily could have been three matches or, or, or two matches or whatever you wanted it to be. And in that final match, after so many times of like, okay, this is 
it for Cody. Cody's tried all, you know, tried like hell, and and he just hasn't been able to do it. Well, now on this occasion, he's got MJF out for him, or what? Like there was just a lot of ways I think they could have done it, and then they maybe rushed into it a little too much. With that said, I, I I'm liking the turn so far, and I think it has some good potential. I just think that you could have gotten more months out of telling the sort of. You know, leading the breadcrumbs of that hint of of a turn, and then let a little bit more with the with Cody Jericho. But now we see that they're just going to go with it. They're going to move on. Cody's going to do stuff with MJF and, and, and Wardlow and all that other stuff or whatever. And Jericho's going to move on to different things as well. But to me, I would have I would have stretched this out a little bit more. I think it was done a little too soon, and I'm still a little lost as far as like motivation of why MJF waited until the end. It's one of those turns that, that sometimes I have a little, you know, I kind of scratch my head on. Is like, why would you wait until the end of this 28-minute match or whatever to decide that you're going to screw this guy over or whatever? Or was it a thing where he threw in the towel and then Cody got upset about it and then MJF kind of got upset at him for getting upset? Like, I don't know that we established that all the way in that promo last week. We just sort of established that we hate Cody Rhodes. Is kind of all I heard from MJF. And it was, it was kind of weird in that sense. It's like, well, if you hated him, why'd you wait 28 minutes to, to fuck him over? Well, I think because he was waiting to pick the right spot, I think that that's kind of what the idea is. What yeah. you're saying is, all right, throw the fucking towel as soon as the bell rings, right? But I think he was waiting to have it come off a little more plausible. So he waited for Cody to be in a submission hold before he threw the towel in. And then, so I, I don't know, I... I don't quite have as much of a problem with that. Honestly, I didn't even think about that until you brought it up. And then when you brought it up, it made me think about it and you kind of ruined it for me. But um, I think that was kind of the idea behind it. I I will sell you one thing and maybe turn you around a little bit. And I did notice this throughout the match as well, is that MJF never helped out. He never attacked Hager. He never attacked uh, Jericho. He was there and he kind of watched from the outside but never got involved in the match as well which is one of my biggest pet peeves is when a guy gets involved in a match beats up the opponents and then waits 25 minutes and then turns on a guy and then goes ah ha, ha, yeah 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 i hit you with a chair but whatever it doesn't yeah. matter we're all friends now like that shit i hate and they didn't do that mjf was there and it was kind of weird they're like oh when's mjf gonna sort of help out cody or when he's gonna do that and then you know i think excalibur even said well he's just gonna wait back and let cody kind of work his own matches so that's the way that you can kind of establish it that mjf like you said was waiting for the time and decide okay this is the perfect moment but but again i have this weird thing where it's like well man you 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 left a lot open for interpretation like you you needed cody to be in the middle of the ring in the lion tamer all this sort of stuff had to happen for you then to throw in the towel like all these sort of thing had to come together for that turn to work well, I mean, in a sense but maybe well, maybe he would have turned on him even if Cody won, right? Right, and you can establish that. But what you're saying is we shouldn't be specu- – he should have made that clear in his promo the next night. Yeah, and I don't saying. think he did. Yeah, on I, Wednesday I, I, night. I don't think he did that, unfortunately. Yes. So that that that's where I'm a little yeah. little down on. I thought that promo was great though, because the delivery, the cadence, everything. I I was just like, fuck, this guy's a great heel. I just wanted a little bit of the here's why I turned on Cody, and here's why I did it when I did it. Here's why really... I threw the towel specifically, and yeah. right, right. And we I, didn't really get that. So you know, I got I got to be fair, and I got to criticize it where I see it. I like the turn, but I would have liked a little bit more of, of, of details of of why it happened when it happened or whatever. Because I know they thought about that. I'm, I'm positive that this company. Thinks about stuff like that I, and i just want to hear why that was the, the the time they chose to do it so yeah instead of us creating our own headcanon <laughs> right, exactly. oh well okay. maybe well maybe he would have turned on him anyway or maybe but it, it, just make it clear just tell us you know he come out on wednesday and tell us why you threw the towel when you did that's all that's all we're asking so i actually think that's a pretty fair critique and one that i had not thought about 
Now, as far as the turn happening too soon, in the moment, I was thinking, oh, man, I was hoping they would milk this another year or whatever. This feels way too soon. But then when they did the promo Wednesday with MJF and Jericho, that was so fucking great that forget it. All thoughts that they did the turn too soon went right out the window for me because he was so phenomenal and knocked it out of the park. So, Rich, he's in there with an all-time great in Chris, an all-time great promo guy in Chris Jericho, and he not only held his own, he almost outshined him. Yeah, that's oh, how absolutely. good he was. Yeah, he is so good. This guy, okay, what four years into his career, is already one of the top points. 0.1% promos in wrestling, and I'm almost ready to call him an all-timer. I mean, I'd like to see a few more, but I'm confident he's going to keep delivering. This guy is incredible, you know? And that's another thing. Like, that's why he never has to be a super worker. Like, he's competent in the ring, right? Barely competent in the ring. Like, you know, he's, he's just good enough. But it doesn't matter because he's so overwhelmingly uh, great at all of the other things. He's the he's arguably the best heel promo in wrestling right now, and he arguably has, you know, the best heel charisma in wrestling right now. I mean, so it's okay that he's just like a mediocre wrestler. He can get away with that, you know. And he and people forget he's a very young wrestler. He has time to get better at that. What is he like? Twenty three? Yeah, he's I mean, like he's stupid, stupid young. Yeah, he's annoyingly young. <laughs> it's 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 annoying how young he is. Yeah, so it's like he's been on the because he's so fucking talented. He was instantly he's an indie star. God damn it! Fuck you. Twenty three. <laughs> so he was the thing about him is it feels like he's been around forever. He was born because in nineteen ninety six, Joe. He was born in nineteen ninety six. Like imagine the memories that right. you have in nineteen ninety six. And this oh asshole wasn't even born yet. <laughs> I'm having questionable three ways in nineteen ninety. <laughs> You're going to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. So like he's got time to improve. It's like we forget how young he is because he was instantly headlining everywhere on the indie scene. Almost as soon as he came out of fucking Pat Buck's school, because he was so, he was a fucking prodigy. So it's like he can get better bell to bell. But Rich, and we said it at the time, everyone who laid eyes on this guy for the first time said, that motherfucker's going to be a star. And they were saying it before, when we were the only people who knew who he was, people were saying it. You know, uh, uh, Pat Buck and, and, and all those, you know, they, they knew. And then as soon as everyone saw him, this guy is going to be a fucking megastar. Everyone who lays eyes on him, Jim Cornette the first time, this guy's going to be a fucking megastar. You know, the elite, this guy's going to be a fucking megastar. It just, it's a, and this promo just fucking sealed. I mean, he was so good in such a big spot. Oh, my God, that's an enormous. You have to nail that promo. And you're in there with Chris Jericho. And to just go toe-to-toe with him and not even look like you're even close to – like. There was no question he was in the same league as Chris Jericho. Who fucking does that at 23 years old? So, yeah, all my thoughts of the the turn was too soon. No, fuck that. He fucking crushed it, and I'm I'm on board now. So that's where I am with the turn. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool too is, is in that promo as well on Dynamite. I know a lot of people are thinking, oh my God, MJF joined the inner circle or whatever. And they were they were weird that they they didn't necessarily – He's I don't think he joined with the inner circle. I think they just – he's a heel – that has a unified, he's kind of with, you know, they have the same enemy. They both hate Cody and they both want to take down Cody, but they don't necessarily have to be in the same unit. And I like that idea too. I like the idea that like, Hey, we can both be bad. We don't have to necessarily see the eye eye on everything. Cause Jericho says, Hey, do you want to join the inner circle? And MJF just goes, Oh, you want me to join the inner circle? But he never says yes. He never says, yeah, I'll join the inner circle. Yeah. I'm in the inner circle. Like you would never got that. And I like that idea. I like the idea that heels can sit, exist, you know, in different sort of units and in different groups or whatever. But not necessarily fight one another, but also have like a unified, you know, purpose in, in life and taking out Cody. So I enjoy that. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next step is, is for that. And I think one thing that I always bring up about, about MJF, and you sort of said you could argue that he's one of the best heel promos uh, in, in the world right now. And I would argue he is the best heel promo in the world. And I'd argue he is the best heel in wrestling right now because he gets the heel persona. You aren't supposed to like heels. You're not supposed to think a heel is cool. You're supposed to want the heel to get his fucking ass kicked. And I have never went to a show, and I and I like MJF, but then he cuts a promo, and he's just such an ungodly shitbag that you just want him to get his ass kicked. You and nobody in their right mind could root for MJF. You, you know, he nails yeah. it. And like for a 23 year old who existed in this pro wrestling world, the world that we just talked about, where everything is up and up is down and, and the WWE rot or whatever, this dude fucking gets it like more than anybody else. Every other heel is trying to be the NWO and be the coolest guy in the room, and this guy wants to be the biggest shitbag in the world that you want to, you want to see his ass get kicked. And that, has, he ever had, has he ever had a T-shirt? No. I don't I think so. I love it. Yeah. Never I had a T-shirt. I, I, Doesn't sign. You know, you see his car, you know, you, you see him driving out of the arena and he's going to tell you to go fuck yourself. I've seen it. I've seen him pull out of an arena and people go, MJF, and he goes, don't touch the fucking car, assholes. And he just drives away. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, that is awesome. Like, that he's dude, not- <laughs> like, he's not going to be nice no. outside of the ring. He's not going to sign an autograph. Outside. He's going to walk to his car, call you a fuckwad, and then get in his car and then drive away. And I'm just like, yes, I love it. Like, He's not standing at the merch table in basketball no. shorts. Trying to you know uh, fuck the um, uh, the groupies at, or or sell T-shirts to people or you know take pictures with everyone. It's just it it it's a he's a different breed. You know what I mean? He's not, and I, and I love that. You know, and and I, I can't. I, I just thought, but I don't think he's ever had a fucking T-shirt. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen him wear a shirt. And I or, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Um, he maybe had like a. Be- I, I think he had like a "I'm better than you" shirt on on, on processing tees or something like that. Or I think he's had a few here and there, but I've certainly never seen him out there like selling them. So there might be some that like yeah. you know just kind of happened because you know like processing tees wanted some or AEW wanted him to have some. But yeah, I've never seen him sitting at a merch table selling them. So he's got merch now because they've got the 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 scarf. And, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like, yeah, like you said, it's not. He's not out there trying to sell that shit either. He's not wearing it on TV and telling you, "Hey, buy the new MJF T-shirt or whatever." No, he's in a he's in a major league company now. I'm talking about when he was an indie guy. Oh God, no! Yeah, it, it, it just part of getting his character over was, you know, he's not going to stand there at a merch table and smile for your Polaroid. You know, Polaroid. What year is it? But, <laughs> well, it's kind of back though. Now that that is such an old reference now that you've almost turned it back. So it's it's okay. Yeah, are they are they doing Polaroids oh, yeah, yeah, now? Yeah, people, they're back. There, you got the Instant Maxes and stuff. Yeah, you got a lot oh, of Polaroid stuff go. coming back, so All it's right. good. So, 
I knew that. That's why I said that. Exactly. I know you were just setting me up there. But, uh, yeah, really, really. So the turn, yeah, I was the same way as you where I was just like, ah, I don't know, a little too early in the night promo. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Don't care. I'm in. So that's, uh, that's where we go there. So let's move on to some of the other matches here uh, on Full Gear. We're not going to go into extensive detail about all these. Those were kind of the two big matches we want to talk about. Uh, women's title match, Riho versus Emi Sakura. Uh, Riho wins yet again, retains the title. What do you think of uh, Sakura and Riho? That's all right. What'd you get it? Get, let's get the ratings. Let's go. I don't know. A generous three and a quarter, I guess. I don't Ew, know. interesting. Okay. So that's it. I, I went four. Uh, I, I actually liked it a lot more than you did. Wow. What, maybe why? Why? Because yeah, like Dave went four. Uh, the cage match folks uh, went 7.23. And uh, actually, the, the, the grapple users a little more with you, though. They went 3.37. So they're a little bit more in your camp. So um, I guess yeah. I got to defend myself on this one more so than you. I don't know. There's Seven a lot of different views here. Well, seven point two three—that's a—that's a three point five or a three point six. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so cage match, grapple, and you are all kind of in alignment. And then Dave four. and I, and Dave and I are kind of in the same. You and Dave are right at there. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I thought it was fine, but I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was just a match, and if I'm being honest, I mean, I probably. I know I went three and a quarter in the grapple app, but I don't know. I mean, I. I felt like going any lower. Would, I, I don't know. I I graded it on the curve, Rich. That's what I'm trying not to say. I, I went on the curve. I, I didn't think that much of it. I thought it was okay. Um, I, listen, Riho, I have accepted, just does not work for me. I think, think she's a perfectly competent wrestler that does nothing for me. She's – here's the thing. If you're going to be that tiny – You've got to be special in some way for mm-hmm. me. You have to have overwhelming charisma, which she does not. Okay, this is not fucking Rey Mysterio charisma. I mean, don't even come at me with that. You have to be a world-class something in the ring. Usually, if you're that small, it's like flying, right? And again, she's not some kind of innovative, world-changing fucking performer in the ring like a Rey Mysterio was, which is why, you know... He got over with me, and I'm using him as like he's like the ultimate example of he's the greatest small wrestler of all time. So maybe it's an unfair comparison, but I'm just trying to make my point here. I don't find her especially special or overwhelmingly good at anything. I think she's just a nice wrestler who's clearly a good wrestler who also happens to be 90 pounds, couldn't break glass with her strikes, and it's like. This isn't a Cornette rant, right? Because it's like, it's, I've heard other people have that critique about her. She's like, her shit looks weak. She doesn't come across special in any way. And I could tell that there's a, a well-trained, solid professional wrestler there, but I just don't buy her. And, and it's not only that I don't buy her, it's like, she, she never overwhelms me in any way. And uh, to, if I'm being honest, I'm ready for them to move on and put the title on someone else. And I don't know. I, I don't know. And and this match was okay. It was fine. There's nothing wrong with this match. But this was 10,000 other three-star matches that I've seen and did absolutely nothing for me. So I, 
Yeah, no, and, and I think I don't think that's you're totally me explaining off base myself. There. No, and I don't think you're totally off base there. Like I, I enjoyed this one because of the story that was kind of came in there with the teacher versus student, and I like that that Sakura was like real aggressive to her. Like they, they, the story that they told is that Sakura was the smarter wrestler almost the entire time, and was was in some ways kind of the better wrestler because she was the teacher, or whatever. So she's beating her up and she's hitting her with like that was most of the offense came from Sakura just like throwing this girl around, like throwing Riho around and, and throwing her with backbreakers and kicks and and throwing Vader bombs and all this sort of stuff or whatever. And then what I liked in, in, in the finishing sequence, which is Riho finally finally got some momentum, hit a few double stomps, and then what was interesting too, and, and, and I like this, it was a little kind of an ode to what happened on Dynamite, is that uh, M. Sakura you know, rolled her up with a, a Mashra Cradle on dynamite, but then Rio kind of reversed that in here and kind of said, "Okay, no, I, I I learned from the what you did, you know, a few weeks ago when you pinned me and rolled her up and got the win that way." So it was kind of a counter to the move that that, that beat her, you know, a few weeks ago on dynamite. So I like that little aspect of it. I like the student teacher stuff, but ultimately when when it was done, like yeah, I like the match and 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 I think Rio has been good, but I'm with you that I'm kind of ready for a different story because I think they've kind of told the the plucky underdog story with Rio a lot now, and and this was a good win because it's a win against her teacher, or whatever. But I'm ready for Rio to either start kind of like dominating people or start really looking good or I'm ready for a different story. So I can say that I enjoyed this and I went four stars with it and I really liked it, but I'm also kind of I, I think I'm kind of over the Riho thing and I'm ready for them to move on. So it's one of those weird things where where I can like it in the moment, but but yeah, I, w- I want a little bit more out of this women's division and, and and I haven't quite gotten that with Riho and I hope that this isn't the, the, the ceiling. I hope that there's many more better things to come from this. I hope, again, like yeah, the, the, this isn't the best we get, uh, but in the meantime, it might be the best we get because the, uh, the rest of the roster, we'll talk about the pre-show match, uh, not really, uh, I don't know if it's going to be able to to handle what uh, yeah, I mean, we're looking for, so... Yeah, I mean she's she's one of the best wrestlers that they have in that. I mean their women's division stinks. It's I mean I went on a ramp yeah, behind. It's, it's horrible. Paywall. It's a terrible women's division. It's awful. Um, you know, and and you know, to me, what they're doing here is it, the way I see it is I think that this was a placeholder title defense uh, with a little story they had to tell here. And I think Kong is going to squash her and win the title. I think oh, no, for sure. Yeah, no, that, when, when, when Riho loses, she's going to lose, like, definitively. It's going to be someone's going to beat her in, like, the, the, yeah, like you said, Kong's going to beat her in 10 seconds or whatever. It's going to make people very mad, but but that's going to be the idea is that, hey, this little plucky underdog, you know, she fought through it all, she fought through it all, she fought through it all, but she's not going to beat Kong, and then Kong just beats her in 10 seconds. Or, right. about, you know, Nyla Rose the, was that story, too, where Nyla visual. Rose could just go in there and, and beat her in 30 seconds and pin her, and it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's a real champion right there, so, yeah. Well... In a perfect world, Nyla Rose would be ready and they wouldn't need Kong. Right. But because Kong is washed up. Kong, Kong has been washed up for 10 years. So, But Nyla Rose isn't ready, and I don't think they think she's ready. So it's Kong in the position, and I, I really think they want the visual of the enormous Kong squashing um, Riho, who will have – now, look, she's over. I mean, crowds like her. So it's like you'll get a lot of sympathy on her if Kong just goes in there and destroys her for the title. You know what I mean? So that, But I think that's the setup here. I think that's why they put the title on Riho to begin with because I think the long-term plan was for the Brandy-led Kong to get the, the, the big visual, you know, the, the size difference and all that and, and win the title that way from the tiny wrestler who, you know, where Kong is guaranteed to get booed because it looks like she's picking on someone – you know, a quarter of her size. Right, so I exactly. think, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's the way they're going with it. And they have effectively gotten Riho over to where that will work, I think. You know, so they've done a good job with Riho. I want to be clear. I, it just doesn't, she doesn't connect with me. And, the same and thing. again, we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a Noah a little bit later too. Like I, yes. I, I know yeah. what your style of what you like out of your champions and Riho yeah. and Kiyomiya 
it's not it. The oh my god, they survived another night. Thank God. Like that's not the you know. That's I was fine thing. with it because I like the story of this match, but I also agree that I'm not into like oh she survived. Oh whew, that was a close one. Wait till she let's see if she survives next week. Like I don't. You know, yeah. I, hey, listen, I, I used Rey Mysterio as my comparison point. That's why I hated him in WWE all these years because it's the same fucking underdog shit. It doesn't. It never works for me. You know, so it's like I, I'm being intellectually consistent here. When it when it when it comes to her, so anyway, that's uh, that's what I thought about that. All right, let's move on to the next match here: AEW World Tag Team Titles uh, three way match. Uh, SCU defeating uh, retaining the title, uh, defeating the Lucha Brothers and Private Party. Joe, I gotta admit, did not like this match all that much. I went three and a quarter. Uh, just didn't really jive with me to to you know to any real degree. Uh, Grapple users three point two seven, so they kind of agree with me as well. Uh, do you deviate from us, or are you kind of in the same uh, same region there? <laughs> Same neighborhood. I either went, uh, my phone died while we were recording, but I think I went three and a quarter or three and a half, one or the other. I know I didn't go any higher than that. Um, I thought it was okay. The problem is I just, the three ways, Rich. I just, I give me a one-on-one. Yeah. I just, I, you know, and it's like, and look, I know, I understand what private party is, what they're doing with them is really protecting them and hiding their flaws. I understand that. And that's smart. I have no problem with it. They're green. And, you know, they're letting them, they're exemplifying their strengths and they're hiding their weaknesses. So they're going to be in spot fests. They're going to be in three ways. And I honestly don't have a problem with it um, from that perspective, but it it doesn't mean that it's going to be my preferred thing. I rather would have just seen SCU wrestle one of these two teams. But what, but I thought there was a lot of good fun stuff. It was a fun match in the middle of the It was fun. Yeah, just nothing really like felt like it clicked. It felt like it was 13 minutes of guys doing stuff. And like, I like guys doing stuff matches, but in this one it was like, and especially in this company, I I want for a little bit more than that. And this felt like the bell rang and a bunch of people just went and dove and did a bunch of stuff and flipped and and all this. And and, and quickly I was just like, all right, this is all this match is going to be. I get it. Like, whatever. Let's just, let's just get to it. It it just, for whatever reason, it just, the story didn't really click with me. And and, and yeah, it was just, it ultimately just felt kind of a waste of time when it was all said and done. So I'm ready for something else with private party i've seen all their tricks now can we do something else with them can we put them in a situation where one of them is selling for fucking eight minutes and setting up a hot tag look they're gonna have to learn right so it's like can we put them in a situation where they're in a blood feud and they're forced to brawl can we put them in a situation where can we have them do something different other than a collection of spots for eight minutes is what i'm getting at right i'm with you yeah because we look they did what they're great at and they got over that's awesome Mission accomplished. Now let's do something new and fresh with these guys because they could be the stars of this division, but we've got to keep progressing and we've got to keep developing them. All right, let's move on here. This is a match that I, I've seen some interesting uh, opinions on, and I uh, match I probably liked more than I, I feel like almost anybody else. I'm very curious what you thought because you and I haven't talked about this, but Sean Spears, uh, Joey Janela, Sean Spears gets the win. Uh, Tully Blanchard finally gets involved and actually moves as <laughs> the manager of Joey Janela. They do a spike pile driver on the, uh, on the floor, and that really kind of leads to the victory here. Uh, not a good match, but I think to me, honestly, and, and this might be damning with fate praise, like I gave it the star rating, the same rating that I gave, you know, the, the, the three-way tag. I went three and a quarter here, but I thought far and away the best performance of Sean Spears' AEW career so far. Uh, but I'm curious what you thought of, of Joey Janela's Sean Spears. Again, not a blow-away match, not a match that you need to go out of your way to check out, but I thought a, a, a solid, well-worked match that that maybe didn't get to a, to a high level, but I think for Spears, it was a nice kind of rebuild for him. I feel like I'm finally starting to kind of get an idea of, of what we're trying to do with this guy. So so I enjoyed that part of it, but yeah, what did you ultimately think of, uh, of Spears' Janela? Uh, pretty much the same. I thought it was a competent, you know, mid-card pay-per-view match between 
and two mid-card guys who are having a mid-card feud. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I would have liked to have seen something better, but maybe that wasn't even the idea. And maybe Spears simply isn't capable of it anyway. But uh, it was fine. You know, a little, nice little three-star match. Yeah. Totally inoffensive. Um, liked some of the spots, and I did like the finish. So, um, yeah, I you know, it just it was what it was. I'll never think about it again after we do this podcast. It's just interesting, I, and, and again, I don't want to get into kind of a star rating rant uh, uh, again, but I, like I've seen a lot of like ones and one and a half, so I'm like, no, it's not like it was a fine. No, that's, like listen, that, that is reserved for like absolute fucking disasters. Like that, that is not meant for for this match, which is 13 minutes of completely confident pro wrestling. Like that is, you know, if this and, and like I said, it's it's kind of a weird kind of grading on a curve thing as well because it, this match transplanted to almost any other company would be seen as like, yeah, like we said, three stars, like just kind of three and a half, three or three and a quarter or whatever. But like, because it's an AEW and because it was bookended by some really good matches and, and two really fantastic matches in the main event or whatever, and what we've seen from AEW so far that this sticks out and to people, and, and it's not like, you know, long, I mean, grapple, you know, overall users, 2.4 or 2.54. Uh, I don't, the know, average rating there. Two, I don't have a pro- two and a half star average match. That's what it was. I mean, I don't have a problem with that rating. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen there, if you go through the grapple, like histories or whatever, there's a lot of people, yeah. one star, Star, one and a yeah. half point, you know, three and a quarter stars. And I'm like, no, oh, you're, come on. Yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Look, this was just an average pro wrestling match. I thought it was slightly better than average. It, it, this is not a that that's not a one star match, Rich. The other thing I think is because wrestling is really at such a high level now. I'm not sure that people really know what bad matches look like. Anymore. Exactly. Right, right, right. Because this wasn't it's, a bad yeah, – go back and watch a bad match from like 20 years ago and you'll know what a bad uh, – Go back yeah, and watch – Joe Vember to remember a perfect opportunity to watch yeah. utter shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, what, mean, what is the top match so far in Joe Vember to remember? Isn't it like a, well, a three and a quarter Candido match or something like that? Like, I just did Joe Vember to remember eight patreon.com slash voices of wrestling episodes four, five, and six of ECW Hardcore TV. Okay, um, there is a go watch the Sandman versus Sal Balomo uh, from the shows that I just reviewed. That's a one star match. Okay, it's just people don't see bad matches anymore because Major League Wrestling is so good now that the wrestlers are so well trained that you very rarely you want to see a one star match. Go watch AEW Dark and watch Ali. Look like she's untrained. Okay, that wasn't even a one star match. Okay, but it's like you know. Okay, Leva Bates, she's going out there having one star. This was not a one star match. I mean, stop it. This was a perfectly competent pro wrestling match. Perfectly average. It's like you know, like I said, go watch. Like Rich is saying, go watch something you know from the eighties where guys just weren't even fucking trying. Or you know, it's like you know, yeah, I can't take that seriously. I mean, and a lot of that is. Um, I don't know. Let, let's just move. Yeah, on. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on. But I, I, I will say though that 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 Spears. This I think this was the best I've seen out of him so far in AEW. But there's still I I I, I the idea that this I, I don't think it's ever going to work with Sean Spears in AEW. The guy, his in ring style. I, I don't know if this is intentional that he's trying to no. do this or this is the only way he knows from being in the system too long. But like. Dude, you know, he spends five minutes working on a, ba- a body part and then just throws in a side headlock in the middle of the ring. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, it, 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 there's there's just too much of that WWE 
style in him. Too much of the WWE TV style stuff. I hope that he can break it. I hope he can break free of it. But but you see it, and you see that it's kind of it's capping off these matches. And I don't know if that's supposed to be the character. I don't know if that's what we're supposed to be doing here with the Sean Spears character. I don't know what the Sean Spears character is supposed to be. I saw elements of what it's supposed to be in this match, but ultimately, like the entire package, I'm left thinking yeah, it's just a mid card guy. And if that's what he's going to be, that's fine. That is what exactly what it is. But I need to sort of adjust my because per- I think, oh my god, this guy, you know, after that chair shot, this guy's going to be a star. But that's not what he is. He's a mid card guy. And the second you realize that he's just a, a dude on the roster, I think it'll be a lot easier to kind of stomach his matches and understand what's kind of happening with them. Oh, so. listen, I'm already there. Uh, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, but I'm already there with him. He's a competent mid card wrestler who's going to go out hand. there. And have- <laughs> he has a yeah. good hand. Cody was right. He, he's going to go out there on TV and on pay per view and have two and a half star matches. That's what he is. Yeah. You know, and it's not like ideal, but it's not the worst thing in the world to have guys on your roster like that, especially if he's just putting people over at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. You know? If he's having 10 minute matches and putting guys over, then whatever. Yeah, if he's going to lose this feud to Joey Janela and then move on to another mid-card feud and maybe lose that one to someone or win it or it, that, that's what he is. You know, it's 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 you know, it, you need you need a little bit of everything on a roster and and like you're saying, I know it's disappointing, but I've already accepted that that's what this guy is. Right. That's what he is. All right, we'll move on to the last two matches here on the main show here. You had Adam Page defeating Pac. This was uh, pretty good. I like this one better than a lot of the uh, prior Page matches so far in AEW. I think it's the best he looked uh, thus far in AEW. And, and yeah, I think uh, it, it was you know 18 minutes, which I think at times went a little bit long. I think you can maybe have stretched you know, or, or, or cut a few minutes off of this. But ultimately, I, I really like this one. I thought this is really good chemistry between these two guys. I think they... You know, now having watched Dynamite, I think the Dynamite match blew this one out of the water. I think that Dynamite match was way better than this one. But still, I, I like this one a lot. What would you think of this one? Interesting. I like this one better than the Dynamite match. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Wednesday night match. Yeah. 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 But the commercials and stuff always fuck with me and it bothers me. But um, yeah, I, I went three and a half on this. I thought it was a good, solid, um, you know, uh, match here. And, and the thing about about Pac is I'm going to find room for him in my wrestler of the year ballot in my top three. And it, it's not because he peaks super high as much, you know, there'll be people who peak way higher than him who I leave off of my ballot, but I truly believe he's one of the three best wrestlers in the world this year, just with everything, the way he carries himself, the way he works to his character, the way he, um, you know, flies when it's appropriate to fly, you know, only, you know, he, he he saves that black arrow for only the biggest spots in the match. Um, his mannerisms, his facial expressions. Rich Sky is just a great pro wrestler. And he doesn't go out there and have four and a half star matches every night. But he goes out there and has three and a half star matches every night where his individual performances are just head and shoulders above everybody else. Even on loaded shows like this with other great wrestlers. He's just so good. And I can't get enough of this guy. And... Um, you know, and, and, and this little feud here here with Hangman um, where, you know, uh, Pac wins on Wednesday and then, you know, finally puts the feud in the rear view mirror and now they're both going to move on. And, um, yeah, so um, I just wanted to talk about Pac a little bit because I think the guy's phenomenal. Yeah, no, and, and, and again, like, one thing I loved about the finish of this match, and it was it's similar to the Riho Emi Sakura match, 
is that they're making stuff that happens on Dynamite and stuff that happens in prior matches really matter for the finishes here because the ref's distracted. Pac goes for the low blow. Paige realizes, hey, this asshole went for the low blow the last time we fight and the ref is distracted. So I'm going to turn around and, and, and clock him with a fucking forearm. Clocks him with a forearm. And it's like, per- it's like, cool. The faces are smart and the faces know that the heels can't always get away with cheating and shenanigans. And, and the baby faces are going to be smart sometimes and are going to adjust on the fly and are going to understand what happens before. So we saw Riho, you know, transition the Maestro Cradle into her own roll-up, and we see Paige here go for the forearm when, when, when Pac went for the low blow. So just little stuff like that I like. And, like, the match isn't doesn't live and die by that spot, but if you know that spot and remember that spot, it's another little caveat to go, hey, that's a cool little thing that they did. That's awesome. Again, you can watch the match and not know that that, ha- that spot happened two weeks ago, and the match will still be pretty good to you. But, again, it's just a nice little you know, Easter egg to let you know, hey, the yeah. stuff you're watching, the matches on Dynamite, the other pay-per-view matches, the other matches these guys have, they all matter. They're all for purpose. So so the stuff you're watching, the stuff you're noticing, you're not doing it as a waste. Again, it rewards you for, for, for thinking. It rewards you for being a loyal fan. It rewards you you know, for watching and, and, and consuming the product. So that, that, that I really do enjoy. You know, this company is very well booked. And the longer they exist, the more clear it becomes that they're very well booked. And it's like we talked about before. We're all kind of learning on the fly what their booking style is. These two guys, Rich, have been feuding from literally day one. And, you know, it, it, they, they had the complications with, with the visa, although they'll never admit it. And it kind of threw it off a little bit. But then they, they finally wrapped up this feud on Dynamite this past weekend with all the stuff you just talked about where everything, all the other past matches matter and all of that. It, it, you know, and, and, and we see that up and down the card. And, you know, I don't think it's a, there's no such thing as a perfectly booked promotion or anything like that. But, but man, you know, the more shows that they get under their belt and the more that we see, it becomes clearer and clearer that this is a very well booked promotion. So now the proof will be the most, the more, the most important things will be that they, you know, push the right people at the top. And so far they have, but you got to pick the right guy to beat Jericho. You got to get the important things right. Like, and again, they're a brand new promotion, so we don't know how that's going to go. But in terms of getting new people over when it comes to MJF and private party and things like that, and Riho, they have succeeded tremendously in getting new people over. They have uh, shown the ability to uh, do, you know, uh, with long-term feuds, like this Pac Hangman page thing, at any point in the card too, whether it's mid-card, upper mid-card, or main event, um, they, they've they've run red hot angles on television. This is a very well booked promotion. I'm not ready to say great. I got to see the big picture stuff come together. But man, I, I got to tell you, I don't have many complaints about the booking. Yeah, so far I've, I've, I've liked a lot. I mean, except for with the women's division aside, which we'll talk about here in a sec. Uh, the opener, though, uh, we'll, we'll touch on this one before we talk about that uh, pre-show match, uh, was the uh, Proud and Powerful defeating the Young Bucks here. And I thought this was a little bit more of a methodical match. I was kind of surprised that it wasn't like the Young Bucks style match that we've had. But we've seen them have these style of matches as well. When people say, oh, all the Young Bucks do is you know, run around and do flips and all this other stuff and super kicks. It, it, we always say that it exposes you as not watching Young Bucks matches and, and, and just sort of watching GIFs and sort of reacting that way. Because they've, they've had matches like this. We've seen New Japan matches with these guys that have been like this. Where it's, it's, it's you know, someone, one of the Jacks is selling an injury, selling the back, selling the knee, selling the leg. In this case, it's selling a shin 
hand and a leg, and 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 they can do the slowdown sort of methodical matches or whatnot. So this one I, I thought was good, not great, but but a pretty solid opener. I went three and a quarter with it. Uh, again, not a match that I think, oh my god, you have to go out of your way to check out. But I think it's cool to sort of establish that the Bucks can have other style types of matches and can have other style matches that instead of what people just always assume are are just you know insane super kick parties and all that sort of stuff. And to be fair in AEW, that's really all they've kind of done to this point. But in here, they kind of slowed it down a little bit, which I think is a smart way and a smart strategy to sort of establish the, this. And and really, what this is doing is it's just beginning this feud and getting you ready for what's going on with this feud, which is going to continue for for what appears to be a little while as well. So I think this was a good starter to the feud. You know, get proud and powerful a, a nice good win at the beginning here. But uh, yeah, what do you think of a, a proud and powerful young bucks? I love this. I went four stars. I thought it was a notch below the top two matches on the show. Um, because it was, it, it's, it's just not what the Bucks have been doing. I'm so sick of the Lucha Brothers spot fests at this point. And it, it, it wasn't, it didn't even feel like Santana and Ortiz in this company, they're like a brand new tag team. Like, I, I, I really liked them and t- I love them in Impact and, and, and I liked all their independent stuff. But it's like, they've got a fresh coat of here and they even feel fresh and different and this was worked like a traditional tag team match they came out because it was a heated feud with the fry takiyama double fry takiyama spot and then it settled into a traditional tag match they worked in the rock and roll express with the with the bump over the railing and man i was i was enthralled by this match and super into it from bell to bell so um i liked it a lot and uh you know went in my notebook and um just uh, totally different than anything that the Young Bucks have done in this company, uh, save that that bad match that they had with Cody and Dustin, which just with the that just didn't work. Oh right, yeah, um, geez. yeah. <laughs> But everything else they've done has just been you know spot fest stuff. Whether it's been with Private Party, which was the right call because that's how you had to get Private Party over, and then the stuff with the Lucha Brothers, which wasn't for me, but that other you know everybody else has eaten up. So especially the live crowds. So I was way into this. So I really liked it. Yeah, it's interesting. Our, our, the, the grapple ratings are kind of right between us. So I went three and a quarter. I, I wasn't as into it as you were. You went four flat. Uh, they went 3.74 with this. So kind of right in the middle there, a little bit closer to you. So yeah, I feel like grapple users liked it uh, a little bit more uh, than, than than I did and, and a little less than you did. But uh, let's get to the opener here real quickly. Um, I did watch this. I tried, you know, <laughs> I tried to avoid uh, pre-show matches, but this was the one that I felt like I, I did have to check out. And yeah, man, when we're talking about one-star matches and matches that are just no good, uh, that was this guy here, Britt Baker, uh, who's a dentist, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, defeated Bea Priestley. This is, uh, this is definitely a, a proof positive that this women's division is in rough shape. I, uh, I did not like this match at all. <laughs> what do you think of it? I can't comment. I didn't see it. All right. Well. Don't. I, I think you're probably better off not watching it. I'll just say that. So yeah. Um, but B was bad. Know, I, I, B was bad. Brit is boring. It's just yeah. If this is if Brit's if Brit, it's just not working with Brit, man. I, I I don't know what they're gonna do with this. I know that they're one that they're they're pushing her as, as one of the top women in this company. I, I just don't think it's going to work with her. I really don't. She just doesn't have that crowd connection. They've done all they can. They're, they're, they're trying like hell with her. They're putting her over. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. It's just she's just not that good. She's just not that good of a wrestler. And in this company, it sticks out like a sore thumb when, when you have you know all these great matches that we're talking about. You talked about the opener with four stars. I talked about these two. Like Everything else in this show was like three-plus stars, and then you cannot have Britt Baker go out there and just have these boring-ass 
nothing happened in matches and, and, and think that, okay, hey, the women's division, yeah, we're, we care about our women. Like, hey, I mean, there are so many talented women across the world that, that, that are great, you know, pro wrestlers. And, and the fact, it, it really, it, it sticks out when these are the ones you're pushing, when you're pushing a Britt Baker, when you're pushing, you know, a Nyla Rose, who again, like, as we said, is, is not quite ready. Allies, your Leva Bates like, these are, are not good wrestlers. They're just not good. Like, uh, that's, you know, I'm just calling spade a spade there. They're just not good. And it sticks out in a company like this, especially when there's so many other good wrestling going on. And, and, and it's so obvious that there are probably better women across the world that, that, that could be in these spots. And, and instead, it's, you know, Britt Baker having these just generic, boring ass, you know, two star matches. So, listen, but who? I mean, unless you're going to raid Japan entirely, um, Mercedes Martinez. Well, she's Close. a definite. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know why they haven't signed her already. She's definitely one. I mean, she's the obvious one, but but who else? WWE and NXT are loaded. Those women's divisions are are great, and they're loaded, and they signed everybody. And what are you going to do? You know, Impact has a very good women's division, and obviously they have Tessa, who they're pushing. She's going to be their world champion. Um, Ring of Honor hasn't been able to put together a women's division in years because the talent isn't there. That's where I'll disagree. It's it's all signed. There's nothing. There's no one out there. Well, there's worldwide talent, and they have a connection there. I, and, and well, that's what I mean. If, if unless they're raiding Japan, they're not getting it from here. I, you know what I mean? So it's like, and the problem with Japan is they've brought in some of these Joshi, but they never. It's like outside of Riho, they can't seem to get any of them just to be full time, and I think that's been a problem too. And it's like. You know, the women's division is bad, and I think people are coming down on the booking of the women's division and saying that they're not putting effort into it, and I think that's bullshit. I think the problem is the women's division stinks. Yeah, they've done, they put a bunch of effort into this. Yeah, oh there's, my like, God. there's only – people are saying, oh, my God, there's only one women's match on Dynamite. Oh, my God, if there was two women's matches, can you fucking imagine that the, we'd have Allie oh, versus Leva Bates on, the, on Dynamite? We don't need that. We don't want that. Nobody no. wants that. That shit on TV. Look – Look at the women's matches on Dark. Do you want that on Dynamite? You can't put that on Dynamite. I don't. I don't. (laughs) I really don't. You can't put that on Dynamite. You can't devote more time on Dynamite to the women's matches until the women are good. You can't just put them on there for the sake of having them on there. That's counterproductive because no one's going to get over. Now, they did a good job with bringing in Jamie Hayter and and Shanna because I think both of those girls are good. Yeah. Shaz McKenzie, too, is another one that's kind of – they've – Kind of been around and lurking around her, so hopefully she'll well, get, get off into it. I mean, sign her or don't sign her. And if she's fucking, I don't know what's going on with her. You know what I mean? It's like if she, you know, either on both both sides, either fucking bring her in or don't. You know what I mean? It's like come on already, because the division needs it. Okay, I don't want to hear this shit that's not booked well. Who the fuck? You? Can, how many people have been pushed harder than Britt Baker? Right. I mean, really. I don't think Gato is going to book this division pretty – you know what I mean? What are you doing when you have Nyla Rose who they've pushed like hell but is not ready? You've had Britt Baker who, oh my god, they've done everything in the universe to get Britt Baker over. You couldn't do more for Britt Baker than what they've done. They've done a great job with Riho. They've gotten Riho over. They're doing this story with Brandy Rhodes and and Khan, which is now coming into focus. They have put – there's – there's down card booking in this women's division, which you don't see in some companies because you, you got this uh, uh, Britt Baker, uh, B. Priestley down card feud that they have going on. They've booked it well. They haven't ignored it. They've, they, there's multiple programs going on at the same time. The problem is it lacks depth and it isn't very good. That's the issue. The issue isn't the booking. They've put, they've put uh, 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 effort into the booking. 
Okay, But there's only so much you can do with this bad roster. Until you get some of these Joshi over here full-time, that'll improve things. Okay, and until you, you know, go out there and it, it, you just you got to improve the roster. My God, the worst thing in the world they could do is give people like Ali TV time. I mean, do not, come on. That's crazy. That's going to be counterproductive. You know, it's like, are these people watching these matches on Dark, which are heavily edited and are still atrocious? <laughs> yeah, that's and, the best part is, you know, that they edited it and said, all right, this is the best we can do. Just fucking release it because it still sucks. Even though they're like. And they're still a sub major league. They're yeah, still minor league matches. Bad, yeah. And 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 a lot of that. And that's where I will criticize the company because they're also giving them like thirteen minutes. What are you doing? Why? Yeah, are these I don't know. So they're long? just letting them. I guess they're just letting them fucking drown. Or I don't know. I, yeah, no. I'm saying, Ali, Leva, you got five minutes. Go out there and <laughs> do something for five minutes. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not giving those guys fifteen minutes. I'm not giving Ali or Leva Bates ever. Uh, yeah, more than ten minutes in a, in a wrestling match. I mean. So. Leva Bates is legitimately the worst major league pro wrestler in the world. There's nobody worse than her. But to be fair, it's not like they push her. Okay, she goes out. But but the thing about it is, she should never wrestle. Leva Bates should never wrestle. Not even on dark. It's an embarrassment. It's not major league. You know, and it's like, and and Allie should not sniff dynamite until she can have a competent match where she's not tripping over her own feet on dark. Can we? At least do that first before we talk about putting her on uh, dynamite. I mean, give me a break. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. The booking, I think, has not been a problem at all. It's depth of the division. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's problem. depth of the and, talent, for sure. Um, they've got money up. All right, let's move on to some of the topics here. We got uh, about a little over half an hour left in the show here, and we got a ton we had to still uh, talk about. But uh, let's, let's start here. Um, this week. Uh, we saw yet another British wrestling promotion, IPW UK, uh, close their doors, officially announced that they are no longer uh, running shows. And, and this got us kind of thinking, and, and this has been kind of a topic uh, going on for quite a while, about this the British wrestling scene and the European wrestling scene at large. And we had uh, uh, the host of the Brit Restaurant Table, Robin Reed, uh, we had him kind of compile a list for us of, of all the companies that have either died or scaled down since NXT UK was announced. So this is kind of, and, and again, for the record, not all these companies went out of business because WWE came into the marketplace. That, that is not what we're saying here. But what we're saying, though, is since that happened, all these companies have, ha, ha, something has happened to these companies. Whether it's they were just were going to go down anyway, or it's because there was NXT UK, or there's competition in the marketplace, or they're lack of wrestlers, whatever. It doesn't matter. Regardless of since NXT UK really got launched and really started getting going, these are the companies that have stopped running shows or have downsided, okay? Defiant, yeah. Southside, IPW UK, that happened this week, Clash, Chaos, Breed, who was on a hiatus for a long time, and I think they just came back with that cave show like uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, ICW, who are now running a fourth of the shows that they used to run. Lucha Forever, Five Star, Fight Nation, Pressing Kingdom, Great Bear, Pro Wrestling Pride, Fight Forever, which have not run a, ma- a-, a show since March, so presumably on hiatus or gone. World of Sport, probably the biggest one there. Uh, PWU, CCU, uh, Fire Wrestling Alliance. I think I pronounced that right. Doesn't matter. They haven't run a show since March. Doesn't matter. Uh, OWE UK, that thing didn't even really launch or get off the ground. And then I think more telling, or probably the most telling here, is Progress, who, yeah, Progress is still operating and still doing stuff, but they drew last year for the biggest show, 5,000 people. This year for the biggest show, they drew below 2.5,000. So they drew yes. below 2,500 people for, for, for their last show, uh, their last big show, I should say. So those are just those are the companies that have either downsized or gone completely away since NXT UK joined the marketplace. Joe, what is going on to this scene? 
We know what's going on. I mean, not, not all of them ever are a direct result of WWE. I mean, some of these companies probably wouldn't have made it anyway. But, um, you know, it's fairly obvious that, uh, you know, it's WWE came in and what happened was exactly what everybody thought would happen. You know, s- slowly and systematically, we've seen these promotions just disappear. And that's what happens. You know, you come in, you sign up every decent piece of talent and are uh, just about every decent piece of talent. And then you restrict where they can go. And then these promotions cease to draw and, uh, and then they cease to exist. So, um, and, and, and just, there's no buzz coming out of the region anymore. And progress is just, does anyone even pay attention to progress anymore? I mean, I couldn't tell you the first thing what's going on in progress uh, this year because, you know, it's just, you know, and, and, and that, like you said, may be the biggest casualty of all because progress was red hot until all of this went down. And, um, you know, now they're in the state that they're in and because they made the decision they made, which I don't even necessarily knock. And then, uh, you know, obviously world sport, which also was the impetus for all of this, uh, that never even had a chance to get off the ground. But maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe it would have failed anyway, but um, WWE UK insured, or at least helped uh, helped it fail. And uh, then there's some of these other smaller promotions, mid-sized promotions that, without question, suffered because they just weren't able to book the level of talent that uh, they were able to book previously. And and again, the worst thing about it is it was a red hot region full of buzz, and it now has none, just none. There's just no buzz coming out of there at all. Outside of OTT, which is, you know, that's Ireland, and they're somewhat loosely affiliated too. So, um, you know, even WXW took a hit, obviously, because they lost all their biggest stars to WWE. Uh, they don't have the buzz that they once had. It's just sad, you know, and, and, and that's why I think anyone who's a big-time pro wrestling fan, you know, you, you don't want them to come to Japan. Because even though it would be harder for them to do this in Japan and get a foothold, just culturally and things like that, just the threat of it is is scary. I wouldn't want to see this happen in Japan. And yeah, Japan has bigger, more established companies that would be harder. And I, yeah, look, I understand it. I understand there's differences, but you don't even want the threat. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. It's just you just, just you torch it and you burn it, and it's done. And it's a shame. Yeah, we talked about it at the time too. We said that this is this is the playbook. I mean, this is what the playbook has been. This this feels very reminiscent. I wasn't alive when it happened, or I wasn't really following wrestling, obviously intently while it was happening. But this is it, we said at the time. This is the Vince McMahon territory playbook. I mean, anybody read Death of the Territories by Tim Hornbaker. You know, follow that. You know, do some history. Do do a little lookup of what happened with the territory. It was exactly the same thing. They come in. They say, "Hey, no, 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 we're, we're buds. You know, we're just we're going to feature your guys on our television, and you'll be better. Your guys will be better for it. And then when they come back to your territories, they'll draw better." And everyone went, "Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great. That's good. Oh, we get we get to show you Junkyard Dog on on USA, and then he's going to come to Louisiana and draw for us. Oh, sounds great, perfect. And yeah, maybe that happens once or twice. But then the next time you announce Junkyard Dog, no, nah, actually, no, he's going to come work for us. No, nah, he's not going to be able to work that show. And I think that's that's the thing that a lot of people sort of." maybe lost track of, of, of the buyer confidence and the confidence that fans had in the companies. Because what we saw, and, and, and we knew, again, anybody with a brain knew this was going to happen, is that they were told, hey, no, 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 you can still work at your indies. No, Pete Dunne, you can still work over your indie you want. 
just, you know, just has to get approved by us. And as long as we don't need you, yeah, go ahead. You can work, you know, Defiant or, yeah, you can work this company or you can work wherever or whatever. And, and what happened is, is these companies will say, hey, Pete Dunn's going to be on the show. Buy your tickets today. And everyone goes, oh, cool. You know, Pete Dunn and Tyler Bay and all these guys are going to be on the show or whatever. And then, oh, actually, Pete Dunn can't be on the show. He's, he's, he's busy. You know, he's got to, he's, he has to do this thing here for us. Or, okay, so the replacement is this guy. All right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, actually, no, Tyler Bate now can't wrestle on that show either. So, so what happens is the, the confidence of the buyer goes, okay, look, like you're telling me that these guys are going to appear, but I have no confidence they're going to appear. And that happens a few times, and then people just stop, you know, buying tickets ahead of time or stop getting excited about shows because they know, okay, well, let me see who you're actually going to book here. And then eventually the company says, well, fuck, we don't want to fuck over our fans, so we're not going to book those big stars anymore. But then they don't have guys ready in the next, you know, level because those stars just got plucked from them. And they haven't had a chance to build up the next level and get ready for the next stream of guys. So, and then you get what you have here. So this is, it's playbook. It's exactly what happened with the territories. It will feature your guys on our television and you guys will be better for it. And then they plucked all those guys away and then the territories, believe it or not, they weren't better for it because they weren't ready for it. They didn't prepare. And those guys, all the big stars were gone and they were left with just the scrap heap and fans basically said, nah, you know, you know, we, we, we liked the stars or you didn't really build it. They didn't build that next wave of guys. They didn't see it coming. And, and yeah, like you said, a lot of these promotions failed because they, they were, they were probably going to fail anyway. Or failed because they were bad at, at, at processing business. But still, to see that just a sweep of an entire scene just burnt to the crisp, like we all said was going to happen, it, 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 it just sucks. Because it was like, you said it was going to happen, you thought it was going to happen, but you really hoped that they were going to be able to pull through it. Or that like enough companies would rally and enough stars would emerge or whatever. But unfortunately, it's exactly what we thought was going to happen. And, and, and that's probably the most disappointing thing. is, is We all saw it coming, and everybody with a brain knew it was going to happen. And it happened exactly how we thought it was going to happen. And that's that's and, the and, most disappointing thing about it. And, and you have to wonder where RevPro would be without New Japan. You know, so. Um, and, and the other thing about it is it would be, it would at least soften the blow if NXT UK was good. Right. Oh, but it's God. not. And and it would and it and it would soften the blow if NXT UK was good and if WWE cared about it and put any effort into it. And neither of those things are true. So that makes it even more of a slap in the face, right? They got what they already, they already got what Hoffman. they wanted out of out of NXT UK. They got what That's it, right. it was because so what gonna we just that list we just said there is what they wanted out of NXT UK. Don't make don't get it twisted that this was some that what we just listed right there is exactly what they wanted to happen. They have a few little talents. They got their four or five guys. And, and that's what happened with the Death of Territories, too. They got, you know, your JYDs. They got your, they got your other guys. You got your little Hulk Hogan. You know, like, they got all those guys. They got all the guys that they needed. And to them, it didn't matter. They got four or five different guys for their depth, and, and they're good. And now, you know, this any sort of competition in this marketplace is gone. And that's exactly what they want. It was never about growing the scene. It was never about growing the – making more fans aware. It was about getting the guys that they wanted and making sure that there was no competition in the marketplace for them. That's all it is, you know? And, and 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 nipping world of sport in the bud, you know. So something that probably wouldn't have worked out anyway is the whole sad part about this is world of sport probably would have flamed out on its own. It, show with a dated model and, um, you know, it probably wouldn't even have worked. But WWE wanted to make sure that it didn't work to protect their, you know, not to so nobody else could get on major league television. In the region, so uh, yeah, it's terrible, and it, you just it, it, you just wish NXT UK was a little better, but they, they don't put any effort into it, and it shows. How many times can we see Joe Coffey challenge for the NXT UK title? I mean, <laughs> well, hopefully a little bit more. Joe. I don't know if you saw spoilers, I, but uh, hopefully a little bit more because it's not going away, unfortunately. 
I know. And I, like, it's, it, I don't get it. Joe, 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 please sell me on the show coffee thing. Please sell me on, on I, 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 I said this earlier. I want to love something as much as the people that ro- love NXT UK love Joe Coffee. I, there's nothing in my life that I've loved that much. Those they love no. Joe Coffee, and I don't get it. They love the Gallus. All that, scene, and it's not like he was a. Big, oh my god! Yeah, it's it's. It's not like he was like some huge star before NXT UK. <laughs> right. Like he was a guy on the scene who you knew, and you know he'd get pushed in places, but it's not like. Well, what the fuck? Why did they pick that guy? I know. Of everybody that's in the scene. We just talked about all these companies and all these great wrestlers and all this hot scene or whatever. And they the guy that emerges from the rubble is Joe Coffey? <laughs> like, what? Well, you know why? Because all of the other people that are more talented, they're using in Orlando and they're moving up. You know, they're using in real NXT. Right. So you, you take away people and Tyler Bate. And you, 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 t- you know, and it's like, what do you, you know, you're left with Joe Coffey. I mean, you know, if it were me, it'd be Devlin. And they are pushing Walter, to be fair. But Walter just doesn't feel the same anymore. Nah. You know? They got the, they're doing, they're doing dollar store ring comp, which is what Imperium is. I mean, it's mostly the same guys, but it's like a dollar store version of, of the faction anyway, somehow. Because it's just, once you get that WWE stink onto something, it's just not the same. Even though it's, the same people doing the same aesthetic, but Rich, it just doesn't work the same, you know. And it's it's like well, it just and feels, outside it, it of that, feels one, Dunmatch, Walter, it, 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 it it doesn't. It's not happening yeah. because it, it just is like I hate throw these guys together. Here you go. It's kind of like you guys had before. You remember this? It was kind of the same thing. Here you go. Now you have it again. You and know what it feels like? like? Yeah. It feels like you know, it's like when WCW redid Raven's Flock and brought in Stevie Richards. It's like, well, no, this worked in ECW because. That's where they did it. Like, like you're saying, it felt inorganic when WCW did it, and they rushed through the fucking story in two weeks, right? With Raven and Steve, and it's the same thing. Like Imperium, it's like not like you're saying it's not. It's inorganic. It wasn't their idea. Yeah. So that's that's and 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 and, and one of the biggest criticisms that I've had is is a lot of the guys at the time and, and guys like Pete Dunne and Bates and Trent Seven and all those sort of guys and and I think people get get kind of confused when 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 I call those guys out and I say, oh, you know. These guys. The reason I, I, I call those guys out is not because they took the money and they did all that sort of stuff. Great for them. I, mean, that is, uh, I would have absolutely done the same thing that those guys did. But the fact that they would all go on Twitter and anytime anybody rose, uh, any any other promotion, you know, promotion or wrestler or whatever that wasn't signed up that was saying, ah, you know, I don't know if this NXT UK thing is really good for our scene, is those guys going, no, you're, how dare you? People are getting, you know, the best shots of their entire lives and they're getting to, to prove themselves on the biggest stage and this is great for the scene and wrestling is going to grow because of this and all this sort of stuff. And that's where I criticize those guys. Now, I don't criticize Pete Dunne for taking the money and, and, and joining WWE. Good for him. I don't criticize Trent Seven for doing the same thing or, or, or Bait or any of those other guys. What I criticize them for is telling everybody, oh, no, this is going to be good for the scene. Because it's like, look at history, guys. Look at the background. Look at all this sort of stuff. Anybody with a brain is going to tell you this is not good. It is not good for the scene. It is going to, if not kill the scene, it's going to greatly damage the scene. And it's absolutely 100% what happened. So so that's the thing. Is, is I'm not begrudging those guys. And I, I see a lot of that on Twitter of like, oh, well, they just took the money. I mean, they want to make money and make their livings. Yeah, I agree. That's fine. That's fine. You can say, hey, I took the money and, and whatever. But don't then tell everybody, oh, no, 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 no. It's good. It's a good thing that this is happening. Promise it's going to be good when everybody in the world knows it's not going to be good. And those people that were raising concerns were raising legitimate concerns that this was not going to be good for the scene and lo and behold those guys were exactly right and the people that were saying no no no, this is good for the scene were absolutely wrong because the scene is just completely decimated so well yeah. pete dunn not only 
Pete Dunne not only refuses to take the L, he just won't shut the fuck up. Like at some point, you, you just gotta. If you don't want to take the L, I get it, but stop talking. Stop saying these things over. You just stop. You know what I mean? Just just back away and leave it alone. At minimum, if you're not going to take the L, that's the problem with Pete Dunne. But um, yeah, just uh, just a sad epilogue on all of this. With with what we what has played out here was exactly what everybody expected to play out. All right, let's get to these uh, two shows that we wanted to touch on a little bit last week, but uh, we didn't get a chance to. This is the Big Japan uh, Sumo Hall show uh, and the wrestling uh, Noah Sumo Hall show as well. Uh, the Noah one had not dropped by the time we had recorded last week, so we were going to wait until this week to talk about it anyway. Uh, Big Japan, we didn't have a time to, to really touch on, so we wanted to get into a little bit of that. So let's start with Noah, though. Noah the best, uh, 2019. I think the first thing that we need to talk about before we talk about some of the matches uh, that we enjoyed was the attendance, 5,523 uh, in Sumo Hall for wrestling Noah, a tremendous number for them. Uh, but Joe, what do you sort of make of it, given some of the circumstances surrounding the show? No, I mean it's 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 a good number. You can't deny that it's a very strong number. They got to be pleased with it. To be fair, it's down from last year's Sumo Hall. Last year's Sumo Hall did over six thousand, but it had Kenta. That had the Kenta, uh, you know, borrowed from WWE and uh, doing the twentieth anniversary match with Marafuji. But still, I mean, you know, they they were down from last year, and this show was also loaded with a bunch of special guests. Okay, They brought in uh, Noah names from the past. They brought in uh, Eddie Edwards. They brought in Michael Elgin. They brought in uh, the great Muta. So they loaded up this one too, which is what you have to do when you're a struggling company and you're running a big building. But um, but yeah, no, 5523 is a, uh, is a great number for them at this stage of the game. The question is, how much of that was Kato Kiyomiya and, and in his match against Kano, and how much of that was the special guests. And we're going to find out quickly because we'll see if Kiyomiya's Korokin numbers improve and if, if overall business improves uh, from this point forward. And if it does, then we can credit the Kiyomiya push and the Kiyomiya title reign for helping to draw this number. So um, that's something where we'll just have to wait and see. Absolutely. So, As far and very oh, quickly go before yeah, yeah. we go through the show, just the other attendances. The Big Japan, three day, three nights in a row in sumo. Noah ran on the second and did 55-23. DDT ran next night with their uh, – the hell was that show called? Uh, Ultimate, Ultimate Party. Party. Ultimate Party, yes. They did 58-69, and they brought in Kenny Omega for that show. The last time they ran sumo when it wasn't a free show, because remember they ran it for free a couple of months ago in February, so we're going to throw that one out, uh, was uh, Peter Pan 2018. They did 62-59. So DDT a little down, uh, uh, even with bringing Omega in. But listen, you're not going to complain about doing 58-69. Okay, so that's a good number for DDT. And then the next day, the third day in a row there, was Big Japan, and we all expected them – uh, to not do as well as DDT, uh, but uh, they did 32-16, which is pretty much in the range that I think people expected Big Japan to do for that show. But uh, but the big surprise, of course, was uh, how Noah just blew Big Japan out of, the, out of the water and threatened DDT's number, coming within a couple of hundred. So uh, some of the big picture um, business considerations for these three shows before we start to uh, talk about them. Now, we're not going to do DDT. I didn't. I I wanted to watch the top five. I didn't. I didn't have time to get to them. I know Rich did 
But uh, didn't you talk DDT a little bit last week, or did you I not? Didn't, no, you yeah, didn't. Yeah, so, so right? I didn't feel like I had oh. only watched like a little bit of some of the matches, and, and I wanted to kind of sit down and watch them, and it just ended up being like I watched most of this Noah show, I watched some of the Big Japan, I watched all the other stuff, and it got to the point where I was like, fuck, it was like, you know, yesterday, you know, it was Thursday or it was today, and I was like, I'm, I'm not going to have a chance to go back and watch those. So, unfortunately, this is not the place for DDT oh. talk, but Wrestling Omakase uh, uh, last week touched on a lot of DDT on this here uh, Voice Wrestling Podcast Network, so definitely go uh, and check that show out uh, if you want an extensive, uh, and we did we did previews and reviews as well on the website as well. So no, no shortage of coverage, uh, just not from Joe and I. <laughs> so, yeah, I just didn't have time to watch it. And, um, I, I did intend to watch it. I probably will watch it. We'll put it on the pile with Starcade 91. Um, so what do we got? We got, we're going to do Noah first. Yeah, let's go with Noah first. So yeah, any, any big highlights? Yeah. I did not see a lot of the undercard stuff. Um, or God, I really, I honestly saw seven of the matches, but, uh, as far as kind of the undercard, uh, tag matches, anything that really stood out that, that you need to go and check out? No, I um I saw the whole show and the show was getting um a lot of show of the year buzz early on before it aired. And then even after it aired in um in some circles, I I cannot call this a show of the year contender. It was a uh it was a good show and a very watchable show, a breezy show. For it was one of these shows that's four and a half hours but it feels like 2 hours. So from that perspective, it was an easy show to watch. But this wasn't even close to one of the best shows of the year. Um, but it did have some good stuff on it. The first four matches are completely skippable. I mean, there was just – they were in, they were out, and there was just nothing to see. So they're not even worth talking about, the four opening tags. Um, they, you know, there was nothing bad. But, well, I don't know. The um, the Momota and Timon Honda versus uh, Akatoshi Saito and Maceo in, in a way. <laughs> that doesn't sound that good. Was, <laughs> That was a horrible match, but it's, I mean, there, you know, there's a fucking 70 year old man in that match and everybody's old and none of them are in shape. And, it, you know, it's okay that that match was bad because it was there just to, you know, a call back to history and all of that. And, you know, Akatoshi Saito Rich is 52 fucking years. He's 54. He's 54 years old. He's the second oldest guy in this match. Isn't that crazy? He's Man. oh no, I'm sorry. Honda's 50, Honda's 56. He's only two years younger than Timon Honda, which makes sense because they're you know came up together. But Honda's been gone and out of wrestling for so long that you just in your mind you think of him as being way older than Saito, right? Because Saito never stopped wrestling. But Saito, I he's 54. He's also kind of looked the same for the last like, 15 years. Like he looked, uh, Saito looked old in like 2002, and he kind of looks the same as he did in 2002. Just a little, a little bit more wrinkles, a little fatter. But yeah, I think he hasn't really changed his look all that much. So I think sometimes I, I, yeah. I don't realize that he's that old. That's what it is. Like he, you're right. He's one of those guys that doesn't really age. But uh, you know, so the youngest guy in this match was 49. So you know, and, <laughs> so and, and that's under- usually not a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, and at least uh, one or two of these guys were never good to begin with, even when they were young. So yeah, that was what it was. But the other three matches were just in and out. Kazushi Sakuraba is another guy they put on this show. Osama Nishimura. So they really loaded it up with um, special names from the outside to uh, to help beef up the number, which I don't have a problem with. But the business end of the card started with uh, Ironhead Fujita versus uh, Shuhei Tanaguchi. And this is a match that everybody's raving about. You love this one too, right? Oh, yeah, it was great. 
yeah, just just tremendous. Um, it, 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 so it starts out. It's it's only like eight minutes long. It starts out where they're kind of just you know kind of seizing, seeing you know where, where the other one kind of goes, and you know they're 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 getting all puffy chested at one another, and they get outside of the ring and they start kind of chopping a little bit, and then they roll back in the ring, and the last five minutes is just them punching each other <laughs> until it's finally over, and it rocked. Yeah. It was so good. Like the first few minutes, I'm like, this is kind of boring. I heard people saying that this match was great, and I'm waiting. I'm like, all right, what's gonna happen here? What's gonna happen? They roll in the ring, and then they just proceed out. Yeah, is that five minutes just punch and kick and chop and larry at the fuck out of each other until it's over and i was like that ruled that was awesome yeah fujita is um he's very old but he still works very stiff and he still comes off very credible that's what's important he doesn't you know uh, you know he's uh how old is fujita let me check this real quick fujita is 49 so he's a little younger than i thought but he he Yo, jeez, he's almost the same age as Segura. Can you believe that? Jesus. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm blown away by these Noah ages right now. They're the same age, but uh, you know, but Ironhead. I mean, you know, he he comes off credible, and uh, Taniguchi was bleeding, and Taniguchi did the two big splashes to try to put him away, and wasn't able to. Uh, this match was very good. I mean, I, I saw people throwing like five stars at it. I think that's crazy. I mean, it wasn't that good. I mean, geez, can we pump the brakes, please? It's a nice little, it's a nice little eight minute match. Uh, you know, but but you know, and I and I like the novelty of it as much as the next guy. But what else I came out of this with is it's very clear they're pushing they're pushing Fujita, and I think he's going to get a title shot against Kiyomiya, which I don't think is the worst idea because. If you're going to plow forward with Kiyomiya, you may as well have him go through these fucking badass motherfuckers to continue to try to get Kiyomiya over. Right. So um, if they do do Fujita versus Kiyomiya, I actually think it's a smart move. And I think they're going to do that because Fujita never loses. I mean, he comes in and he beats everybody on these shows. So and just based on the backstage comments and stuff, you just get the impression that he's going to get a push. So uh, next up was uh, the junior tag team title match. This was Daisuke Harada and Tarasuke. Uh, wow, I really killed it that time. Tarasuke, right? Tarasuke. That's how that you say it. I like that. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Tarasuke, yeah. Uh, and they um, won the titles from Katero Suzuki and Yoshinori Ogawa. This is the first title win ever in Noah for Tarasuke. And, um, you know, I'm not a fan of Rattels. Harada is really the only one I like. And, you know, this was a match, you know, somewhere, three-star range. Nice little mid card match. Didn't do a ton for me. Did you see this? I did. I actually liked it. Uh, maybe a little bit more than you. No, was it like the match of the night? Absolutely not. But I thought it was pretty solid. I, I when when Harada was in there with Suzuki, yeah. I thought there was some really good action between those two guys. But again, like you said, it was it was kind of when Ogawa got in, it kind of slowed down a little bit. When Tadasuke got in, it was kind of slowed down a little bit. It was like when Harada and Suzuki got in there, I was like, let's fucking go. But obviously, it was ten minutes and, and they weren't in there a lot. But there was the the makings of a really 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 good match in there. But ultimately, I I, I was left. You know, just kind of thinking, hey, that was that was pretty good, but not great. And 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 there was definitely something. I don't know. You know, when you have two of the four guys in the ring, you know, are just not really. I, I don't know. I just don't really work for me uh, quite on that level. But I, I did think anytime Harada and Suzuki were in there, there was some really really good action. So so I liked it maybe a little bit more than you, but yeah, not 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 like a you know match of the night or anything like that. So I still love Ogawa. I think Ogawa and Suzuki had a tremendous summer, and uh, and into the fall here as they lose the tag team titles. I like. The old man juniors and Noah way better than I like Rattel's. But, uh, yeah, it's a nice little mid-card match. I didn't have a problem with it. And then we had uh, the junior uh, the junior heavyweight title match, the singles match, GHC junior heavyweight title match. Uh, the battle of uh, the never-ending war between Hayata and Yohei. Uh, you know, it's just these guys are partners. The 
then they're going against each other, then they're partners again. I'm just over it. And I really don't love these guys anyway. I think in a perfect world, they're undercard juniors. I don't think they're guys where if you had a deeper junior division, they're not people that I think, you know, would be pushed. But, you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, they're okay, but there's a ceiling with these two. And they have the same match every time. And I'm just over them. And it was fine. And, you know, I put it at three and three and a quarter, some somewhere in that range. But, um, you know, I didn't think uh, super highly of it. What do you think of this? Yeah, I'm kind of right where you're at, too. And, and I think a lot of it is buy-in. There's probably a lot of people that, that, that are super into these two guys that maybe like this match more than you and I do. But it was kind of the same thing. It was just like, you know, a little bit of back and forth. Went about 15 minutes or so. But I never really felt like I was really watching this epic showdown between these two guys. And, and at the end of the day, it was like, it was fine. But like you said, yeah, three, three stars, three and a quarter is about the highest I can go with it. It was, it was fine, but not anything that I'll ever remember. So I like how they get right to it though. They just get right to it. Especially in this match, they just got right to the meat of the match and just went right into Cause these two guys are just fucking, these are flippy do guys. These aren't two guys you're going to look to, to have, you know, deep psychology. And they didn't set this up with fucking mat work. No, right out of the gate, they're fucking doing flips. So I'll give them credit for that. Uh, the GHC tag team titles, this was Goshi Ozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima. This is Axis. They are getting all kinds of tag team of the year buzz. They successfully defend their titles against Masa Kitamiya and Yoshiki Inamura. Rich, to me, this was uh, the most surprising performance of the night was not Shiozaki and Nakajima, who have been having good matches all year, but this Kitomiya and Amora team. Yeah. I don't know about you. I loved it. I loved it. I'm in. I'm in. They won me over. Keep these guys together forever because, listen, Masa Kitamiya to me is never going to be a big time single star. Okay. He's a nice wrestler to have on your roster. But this is a perfect I want him. I want him to be a big star, but it's, it, you're right. It's not going to work. So it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, um, you know, but this is a perfect spot for him. You put him in a tag team with this kid uh, who they've elevated. They've got a cool look. And if not for that one minor botch at the end, but I'll tell you what, they recovered from that shit because they went to do the doomsday device. But Kitamiya lost his balance on the turnbuckle and fell. But instead of going right back up, he just punched Goshi Ozaki in the face instead. And then they went up and yeah. did the doomsday device, like which it. was awesome. Because <laughs> that's how, that's how like, you get through like, a blown well, spot in Noah. You just punch the other guy in the fucking face, and then just punch the other guy in the face. You know, and, and, and you know, so one minor botch which they covered for tremendously. This was a notebook match. I, I went four flat on this one. Uh, the right team won. I don't think it was too soon for this new team to win the titles. And Shiozaki and Nakajima have been uh, have been very good all year, and um, you know they're getting a lot of tag team of the year buzz and i'm not so sure i think they've been that good the problem is it's been a pretty weak year for tag team wrestling in my opinion worldwide so uh they'll certainly be in consideration on my ballot i've liked their matches just not at the level that other people have liked their matches like to me they they don't have those super high-end matches that i look for but the thing is what tag teams do this year yeah, it's That's been kind of a thing. weird year. So, it's a really weird year. When I was kind of thinking about, you know, end of the year stuff and who's my tag team of the year, I'm having a tough time coming up with somebody that I think, like, there's probably, like, ten teams that I think deserve some discussion, but nobody that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's definitely that team, which is weird because, you know, we, we've seen years where it's like this, and then we've had a few years where it's been, like, no-doubt teams over the last, you know, God, three, four, five years or so. It felt like it's been, like, no-doubt teams. But this year, I mean, I have no idea, man. There, there's, there's, there's 15 teams that I could honestly say, yeah, probably. Yeah, go with them. So it, it's a weird one for sure. 
We had great Muta against Naomichi Marafuji. Obviously, this was a big drawing match on, on this show for Sumo Hall, bringing in the great Muta. Very gimmicky. Uh, they used a fire extinguisher. They took a lot of shortcuts, but it's fucking Muta, and he's on like his sixth set of knees. I mean, what do you want? So I didn't like it, but I can't complain about it, right? Yeah, I thought it fucking sucked, and, and when it was over, it was just like 10 minutes that I felt like I, I – when, I, when it was over, I kind of felt like I was like, I should have just skipped that. Like I knew what it was going to be. I knew what the match was going to be. I've seen Muda for the last 10 years. Like you said, he's got – he gets a new set of knees every year, and he just gets slower and slower and slower. He took no bumps. He did nothing really in the ring. I liked at one point <laughs> because he takes so few bumps because there was a point where Marufuji was on the outside, and uh, they, they had Muda on the outside too, and Muda can't like run – to like go hit him into the like the, the guardrails. So Muda grabbed a young boy and just tossed him into Marufuji. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So he's using yeah. the young boys as his offense, which I was like, hey, you know what? Not the worst thing in the world. Like, I like the idea here. He's like, look, I'm not gonna run and run into you, but I'm gonna toss another guy into you, which I thought was kind of uh, kind of interesting there. So uh, yeah. I enjoyed that. But like at the end of the day, I was like, why did I watch that? I was like, I knew what this was gonna be. And I can't like it was one of those things where I was like, ah, oh, that sucked. And then I was like, well, I knew it was gonna suck. Why why am I upset about this? Like, I should have enjoyed it a little bit. Bit more while it was happening, and I do like that Muda still can't take the fucking <laughs> pinfall. Though he's gonna, he's gotta get yeah. his win, and it's like, come on, dude, he still wins. <laughs> yeah. Come on, lose the match. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know, I know, and it's like it doesn't matter because Mara because Marafuji has no interest in being pushed, so it's like from that perspective, it doesn't matter. But right. yeah, but it's, it's just like Marafuji losing to the old guy who can't move. <laughs> it's just like, oh, come yeah. on, like, but that's Shining Wizard, man. And, you know? Mar- yeah. and Marafuji too. I mean, listen, he'll take any opportunity not to bump either. So you had two guys in there who just, you know, we're going to take every shortcut in the book. So, yeah, you watch it for posterity's sake. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, but uh, so then we had the rollout of the new GHC national title as they introduce a secondary uh, uh, singles title, heavyweight singles title to the company. Takashi Segura taking on Mike Elgin. Mike Elgin was pulled from the Big Japan show. Uh, to work the the Noah show as a as a uh, impact wrestler, he was uh, obligated to take the Noah booking instead. They put him in the semi main event against Segura to uh, fill this uh, vacant national title. And I got to tell you, to me, this was one of the most disappointing matches of the year. Interesting take. I um, so I don't know. So okay, how disappointing though? I guess. Is the best way to say. Well, I said that I love this match. I didn't. I thought it was way too slow, way too methodical. A lot of just kind of posturing and grunting, and so, which I like. We're going to talk about a big Japan match where I like a lot of grunting. But then when the action's ready to get going, that's when like that big Japan tag match really got going. It was like they can grunt a little bit, they can slap each other, they can do all that sort of stuff. But then when they got going, it was just like boom, 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 boom. Where this one, I felt like it was a lot of posturing, a lot of grunting, a lot of like, all right, here we go, and, and this is what it's going to be. And then it was a lot of like tie ups and, and 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 you know grapples, and then just not really the high impact stuff that I was kind of looking for. With that said, I still probably enjoyed it. I'm probably still like I don't know three and a quarter, three and a half stars or whatever. But how disappointed were you? Were you, were you thinking this is going to be you know five star match and it ended up only being you know four star? Like how what's the level of, of disappointment well i was expecting something that could you know be a potential match of the year contender type of match mm-hmm. based on who's in it right and if they haven't wrestled each other and i think they're a good style um mat- style wise i thought it was a good matchup and i figured the ceiling on this was match of the year contender right i didn't think you know you can't ever expect that i guess but what i got here was just a middling three-star match i i did never kicked into another gear they never seemed like um, they never, you know, I, I don't know what kind of 
Segura sold forever, I guess, to try to get Elgin over to, um, you know, the Noah audience. But people know who Mike Elgin is. I mean, sometimes that stuff's overrated. Um, it just didn't work. It just didn't hit the heights I thought it would hit. And I thought it was a dull match. It just wasn't interesting. So a generous three, to be honest. I mean, I couldn't kill somebody if they went like two, two and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really was super disappointed by this. So yeah, it's just like I mean, like I said, there was the right I was, guy won. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely the the right guy. Yeah, I was just waiting for a little bit more. I was waiting for a little bit more impact, a little bit more. It, it, it wasn't even that powerful of a match. Like it's weird. It, it, it's hard to describe if people haven't seen it yet. But yeah. but you, you have if you close your eyes and you think Segura and Elgin, you're like, all right, cool. I think I know what this match is going to be, and it's a lot of just like dudes grappling and guys in the corner and like a lot of posturing, but not a lot of action. So I was I was I was really really I, I'm with you. I, did I hate it? No, I didn't hate it, but 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 disappointed is, is probably the right word. And I still thought it was an it, it okay match. match. But I mean, yeah, it wasn't at all what I, I thought, thought it was going to be. So no, it was not at all. And and to me, I thought the floor on this was a hard hitting match that hit four stars, right? Where they just beat the shit out of each other, and it wasn't even close to anything like that. So very disappointing. And that brings us to the main event: Kaito uh, Kaito Kiyomiya uh, defeats Kano, uh, thirty one minutes and ten seconds, successfully defends the title as we figured that he would. Um, uh, it's weird. You know, I like the work in this match, but at the same time, I felt like I was watching a match with one guy who just is not ready for the spot that he's in being Kiyomiya. And I still don't think he's ready. And another guy who I really like as a wrestler, but to me is very clearly not a big show main event level wrestler with Kano. I just don't think that he is, and not everyone is, and I don't think that he is, and I don't think that they properly structured this thing, and it showed. The entire build was Cano knocking people out with high kicks, right? Going all the way back to last January when he knocked out Kiyomiya with a high kick. That's where this whole story started. Then he's knocking out people with high kicks in the N1, on his way to winning the N1 and earning this title shot. So... You gotta build this match around a big high kick spot, right? They tried two of them, and both of them were poorly placed, and neither one of them popped the crowd. How was Kano's high kick not the biggest pop in the match? Because you got two inexperienced wrestlers, who one of which isn't ready to be a big time main event wrestler, the other who just isn't that guy. And they didn't properly structure the match, and they didn't properly place the spot. And you know, by the time they did the second one at the end which didn't knock Kiyomiya out. He kind of staggered into the ropes, and the story being he's more resilient now. And Kano can't knock him out, right? Like he did when he was fresh coming back from being a young boy two years ago. Right, right. Like he knocked all this time. But by that point in the match, it's like the crowd didn't respond to the spot, and I'm just watching this like, oh, man, this is just dying. Maybe dying is a strong word, but it definitely wasn't getting over the way it should have. That should have been a monster pop when he, when he refused to go down to that high kick, right? And they had done a high kick, you know, about five or six minutes earlier that did put him down, and I think that took the juice out of the second one. So, I don't know. It was, it was technically well worked, and I liked it, but it's like Kiyomiya just, ugh, he just doesn't, he's lacking superstar charisma he's lacking ace charisma and 
that's been the story with him. And, um, you know, Cano- I, I really wish you can magically take the swagger from Cano, who's never going to be a big star, right? And give it to Kiyomiya because that's all Kiyomiya is lacking, the swagger. And Cano has it. It's like they have what the other guy lacks. And it's like if Kiyomiya just if, – and he's young. He's like 22. And he may find it. He may find that swagger. But he doesn't have it now. And he does not come off like an ace. And it hurts the matches. And again, I, and like you said earlier, I don't like my world champions fighting from underneath all the time. Go kick somebody's ass. Exude some dominance over a guy like Cano. And put that in the rear view. Your, your, your career-long rival. You know, make a statement. But it's always the same structure with this guy. So, um, again, with him, it's like they almost got there, but didn't quite get there for me. What do yeah. you think of it? Yeah, no, so, so I, I, you know, I liked it. It, it, it was, it was fine. But I, I think the thing that I, and it's very similar to what you said. The thing I, the entire match as it's going on, I'm just thinking, God, Kano is so much better at Kiyomiya than, and, and, and like literally every aspect of pro wrestling. And and that's the part that yeah. I can't get over is, yeah. is watching Kano in the ring and like Kano feels like he's controlling the ring. Kano feels like he's doing all the impactful moves. Kano feels like he's got a little bit more of the crowd connection. Kano feels like he's the bigger star. And he's not. Like you said, on, a, on the level of like a star star, he's not that either. But when he's in the ring with Kiyomiya, it's like, oh my god. Like you think, you think if I'm no Sawa backstage, I'm like, you know what, fuck it. Audible, Kano, you win the title, man. <laughs> like, and, and like we know that's not the right move. They're going to go with Kiyomiya for a little bit more. But, but you just see it and it's just not clicking on that level. Like you see a match like this and you see w- what the makings of a superstar main eventer look like in Kano, who who isn't, but you could see that he's got a lot of the recipes of it or a lot of the, you know, the ingredients that you need to be that. And then you see a guy who just doesn't have any of those same things. Like, like, and, and that's what I said. Like, Kano, just on every aspect of being a wrestler, is better than Kiyomiya right now. And it's it's hard when you watch these matches to really think, okay, well, the one guy that's, like, great and doing all this sort of stuff and doing all the fun stuff and doing all the offense, that's the guy that's going to lose. And the guy who's just sitting there on the mat selling is eventually going to get the win. It's it, it's hard to buy in that that guy who's doing all the selling and sitting on the mat the entire time while the other guy kicks his ass is your world champion. It's just there's a weirdest thing there. And, and for some people, it probably works. I know some people enjoy that style, but it's just not for me and it's not for you. Is is, is I, I want my champion to definitively feel like he is the best guy in the company. I want the yes. champion to feel like he's the star. I want I want the champion to be the guy that nobody questions who the best guy in that company is. In AEW, do you question that Chris Jericho is not like the best guy in that company or the top guy or the champion or whatever or star? Or more importantly, or more importantly that Jericho believes he's the top right, guy. Right, right. And that's the problem with Kiyomiya is the fans, he I don't think, believe him. He, he doesn't, doesn't believe really believe it. Yet. He doesn't carry himself like he's the champion. He doesn't carry himself like he's a star, and it comes across the same way. And you can see it in the crowd connection too. Like you said, that crowd should be living and dying by Cano's kicks, but they didn't seem to really give a shit. It almost felt like they were like, you know what, fuck it, beat him. I don't care. Like Cano's doing those double foot stomps off the top rope, and the crowd's getting popped. They're popping for it. They're thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe Cano beats him here. Cool. That's not what I. That, that's not what you want out of your champion. You want, especially the champion that's bent this underdog babyface or whatever. You want the fans rallying behind that, rallying behind every single move. And they just don't do that in his matches. They just don't seem to care all that much about him winning. And, and yeah. Yeah, it comes across as like it's tough to believe if you watch this match. If I just jumped you to like five minutes into this match and you have nothing, no idea about Noah, I don't think you would think that Kiyomi is the champion and Kano's the, the the challenger. I think you would think it'd be the opposite for sure. So, so that's a big issue there. And it's just yeah, he doesn't carry himself as a champion. He doesn't wrestle like a champion. He doesn't carry himself like a star. He doesn't wrestle like a star. It's just kind of it's going like you said. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep going at it. And I think that's the best move for now. But at some point. 
it's got to click, right? I mean, it's got to click. Yeah, well, I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to, though. We're, we're too far past it, right? Earlier this year, I was advocating getting it off of him and rebuilding him. Now I think they're pot committed, and I think the move is to keep it on him. And I think he needs to just keep beating people and to just keep this plan going and hope that it eventually clicks. Again, he's not hurting you. Business isn't down. It's just flat. So it's not like he's killing you. And if you keep this up, maybe eventually after he beats all these guys, they will accept him as the ace. But it's not going to happen until he starts to show the proper confidence. He reminds me a ton of early Okada when he first came back. The difference being, Rich, is Okada was awkward and lacked confidence, but he had Gato. He had Gato cutting his promos. He had Okada never spoke. He had Gato calling his matches from ringside and cutting his promos and helping him uh, and helping hide the lack of confidence in Okada, who at the time was probably scared shitless the same way Kiyomiya is in the position that he was in. As a 22, 23-year-old wrestler, all of a sudden thrust to the top of the company and expected to get in there with the fucking ace of the universe and have a a fucking seven-match series with him. You know what I mean? It's like, it's very similar, except Kiyomiya doesn't have a Gato. He's out there alone. And they gave him a new look and a new haircut, and they gave him fucking Masawa's gear, and that's all well and good. But he still comes off to me like a young wrestler who totally lacks confidence. And you can, and that is a killer if you're supposed to be the ace. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, and it, it comes through with his work. It comes through in his mannerisms. And he just lacks ace charisma and that doesn't mean he can't get there and i'm pulling for him i want to come on this show in two years and say wow we saw this guy develop and he is one of the greatest world champions in the world now that would be awesome i i just and he's only 22 and you have to give him time it's just so hard to be asked to develop in that way as the ace it's like what a position to be put in it's 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 wild but Noah is copying New Japan, what they did with Okada. They're copying All Japan, what they did with Miyahara, although Miyahara's was a bit of a slower burn. Rich, do you ever doubt that Kento Miyahara is the most confident guy in All Japan? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Are you kidding? That's a star. The second that curtain opens, that's a fucking star. That's an ace. He makes the company, he makes the fans there know that he's the goddamn star and he's the, the, the leader of that company. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He moves like an ace, he talks like an ace, he acts like an ace, he wrestles like an ace. Everything about him screams, I'm the fucking man, and, and, and you need to know it. And you don't get that out of Kiyomiya yet. So, uh, you know, and, and, and like you said, it's, it's funny because Kano is a better pro wrestler in every way than this guy right now. And it's really a shame because Kano has that superstar swagger. But he just he doesn't have the charisma to be a top guy. And they tried it with him and business tanked. It didn't work out. So the one thing I will say is Nakajima, they've got him laying in the weeds as a tag team wrestler. They're keeping him out of the main event picture. And and he has rediscovered himself over the last year or so. And I think he's the guy who's eventually going to defeat Kiyomiya and become sort of that rival that ultimately gets Kiyomiya over the hump. I think that's what they're doing. I think they're actively setting up Nakajima for that. Because if you remember when he had his failed run on top, he was a completely different character. He is awesome now. He has just completely reinvented himself. And he has 
charisma for days, and he's got that swagger that he lacked when he was on top. You know what I mean? And now he's got it. So I think ultimately that's, you know, Kiyomiya will beat your Fujitas, and he's going to beat, he's going to go through some of these guys. But ultimately, I think that's what they're, that's why they have hidden Nakajima in this tag team. I really like the way the booking is coming together in Noah. I think it's obvious they have a plan, they're sticking to their plan. And you can kind of see things forming for once instead of doing it by the seat of their pants. There's no sour out of the question, Rich. I think he's doing a good job. He is. I think so, too. Yeah, I would, I would agree. So that was the Noah show, which, again, I thought it was a good show. I enjoyed it. But show of the year, I mean, let's pump the brakes. I I, I like the tag team title match. I uh, you know, I, I like the Fujita Taniguchi match. And I like the main event. But, I mean, if you're talking show of the year... There were too many disappointing matches. There were too many old guy matches that just didn't uh, – that were just horrible. And um, you got to give me more than you know one or two notebook matches, high-end matches. I mean there was no match of the year contender on this thing, nothing even close to a match of the year contender. And maybe only one or two you know, high-end matches that you would put on a spreadsheet. I mean it, it, the rest was okay, but it's like as far as show of the year goes, no way. I mean this was a very overhyped show from that perspective, so – all right, let's get to this Big Japan show. We're, we're, we're really pressed for time here, but uh, we'll, we'll be able to try to squeeze uh, a few of the stuff in here. Uh, big highlights from the show, uh, overall thoughts. Uh, then we can kind of go uh, the matches that we did see or the highlights of the matches that we did see. So, I mean, obviously, it's the tag team match. The um, um, I'm pulling it up now. You have it in front because my phone died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It was Sakamoto and, and Walter versus uh, Yuji Hino and Yuji uh, Okabayashi. Uh, it was Sakamoto and Walter winning the match. This one's gotten like five-star hype. I've, I've seen some really, really high ratings uh, across the board. I don't know if I liked it that much. I'm probably about a four-star, four-and-a-quarter, but still a tremendous match, and, and, and definitely the match that I think uh, – you have to watch this match. It's just it, – it's an incredible sight to be seen. It's just the beef in this match. The amount of – this is the amount of man in this match is is, is pretty incredible. But, uh, yeah, what you, would you think of it? This is what I wanted Elgin Segura to be, and it just wasn't. This was awesome. I went four-and-a-half. Um, look, this was just non, this was a nonstop beef fest. These four guys went in there and did exactly what you want Daisuke Sekimoto, Walter, Yuji Hino, and Yuji Okabayashi to do. They just battered each other's chests, threw each other around, and, uh, and they fought until one team was left standing. And that was Sekimoto and Walter. This fucking ruled. Okay. And, you know, this might be the best tag team match I've seen this year. You know, I'd have to go through my notes and and think about it, but it was certainly the most it was the most enjoyable for sure. Um, so yeah, I loved it. It it, it lived up to the hype for sure. Um, I'm not quite going with the five star hype either, but it, I mean, this was a great match, and uh, it did not leave me disappointed at all. And um, you know, the, the, yeah, the, this was great. And again, Walter was replacing Elgin. This was originally going to be Elgin in this match, right? And you know, it didn't lose anything, and Walter may have actually been better for this kind of match. This was what my God! This like reminded you of what Walter was. Yeah, oh, what he's capable of. He gets tagged in. I, I like there's a, there's a spot like later. I forget when it is. He gets tagged in, and all he does is just fucking throw leg. He just he runs over to the corner and just like knocks Hino out with a big boot, and then turns around and just takes Ogobayashi's head off with a lariat. And I'm just like, yes, Walter, yeah. let's go. And then he just lifts him up and just tries to put him. In, he just starts suplexing guys left and right, and then chopping the fuck out of him. And it's like, yes, Walter is good. Walter is still great, but yeah. It, Few and far between these days. Yeah, this is a great match. I thought this was better um, than anything on the Noah show. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure, definitely. Yeah, better than any of the matches on the Noah show. Um, I'm trying to think what else was that. Well, I didn't watch any of the DDT. 
MLW was that weekend. It was better than any of the matches on the MLW show. I thought the MLW show, top to bottom, was probably better than the Noah show. I have to give that some thought. But mm, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I'll, 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 let me stew on that one a little bit. I, on first glance, I'd say you're probably not nuts there. I think I might agree, but I'd have to kind of, w- without seeing the card and kind of re- rethinking it in my head, I think you might be onto something there. I, 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 you know, yeah, uh, that was a really good show. Really good. The thing about the MLW show is everything was good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the Noah show, everything wasn't good. So it's like there were more holes in the Noah show, and I think that the MLW show peaked just as high as the Noah show with the uh, with the Thatcher Lawler match for sure, and you know uh, the Fatu uh, LA Park main event, um, you know was pretty good, and and um, you know, uh, but anyway, we we talked about we reviewed that show last week, but uh, yeah, this ta- the tag team beef match was great. Definitely lived up to the hype. Did you see any of the rest of the show? So I, the only other match I saw was the uh, Daichi Hashimoto uh, Koei Sato <laughs> uh, 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 Strong World Heavyweight Title Match, which uh, that's I'm gonna need 19 minutes and 40 uh, seconds of my life back because that was utter shit. What a fucking pile of shit that match was. Oh yeah, that, god, that that fucking sucked. Um, Daichi Hashimoto, does anyone believe in this guy anymore? He fucking stinks. We were ahead of the game on saying he fucking stunk five years yeah. ago, and he still fucking stinks. So. He just what was with the screaming? I don't know. I was I was like I was listening to it at the gym and, and I'm wondering, I hope other people don't hear this out of my headphones. They're probably wondering, is this guy watching like hardcore porn while he's you know on the treadmill? And I'm like, no, I'm just watching a wrestling match. And this guy gets put in a fucking leg lock early in the match and just decides the rest of the match to go, ah, ah, rah, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like and you can tell the crowd felt awkward too. The more he kept yelling, the more the crowd was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> like what are we doing? Why are you yelling so much? And go Sato is just like, all right, dude, whatever. Just going through the motions, not putting a lick of effort into it because he knows this guy's just a fucking geek. Well, uh, the thing about sucks, yeah, he's just, yeah. And the thing about Kohei Sato is he's a he's like a really cool wrestler, right? With a cool look and a grizzled veteran, and he can be a really good tag team wrestler. We've seen him in Twin Towers over the years, and he's a guy who can have like very good matches when he's in there with the right opponent. But when if he's in there with a guy like Daisuke Hashimoto, it's just not going to work because Kohei Sato is not a great wrestler, but he's a guy who can be in very good matches when he's in there with other great wrestlers or when he's in a tag team match with three other guys who are really good. You put him in a situation like this with a lump of shit like Daisuke Hashimoto and you get what we had here, which was a terrible, terrible match. So I saw some of the other stuff. I'll blow through it quick. The main event was Asami Kodaka versus uh, Yuko Miyamoto. This was for the uh, deathmatch title. This was your main event. A four-board giga ladder deathmatch. Didn't work for me. I mean, it was all right. Um, To give a comparison point, I thought that the uh, Jericho Moxley match, uh, you know, lapped lapped this match. I mean, you know, it ran circles around it. Um, Rich, these two guys went in there and they were like grappling for the first five or six minutes. And I'm like, it's a fucking death match. What are we doing here? Can we like get out the scissors or something? It's big Japan. What are we grappling? Yeah, I, I always, I have this weird thing that like, I, 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 I kind of appreciate the idea of trying to make it a real wrestling match for a second, but I like like Game Changer does it this way. If you ever go to a, you know if you ever watch Game Changer or, or go to a live show, is the match always starts with like a wrestling hold and somebody will hit an arm drag and then that guy will roll out of the ring and then just grab like a board of fucking you know scissors and then throw it in the ring. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like you did your one thing, you bounce off the ropes twice and then you just go out to the outside and go. Okay, the reason you guys are here not to see us fucking work over a, a side headlock. You're here to watch us fucking mangle each other. So I, I enjoy that. Like every Game Changer match starts with like yeah. 
hip toss, and then the guy rolls out of the ring and then just grabs like a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, that's how it's supposed yeah. to be. Because that's what yeah. you're not. That's what you're here for. You're not there for to watch fucking grappling. So yeah, and I mean, I'm a Kodaka fan. I like Asami Kodaka, but this match just uh, didn't didn't. You know, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't a bad match, but um, it just didn't work for me. What did work for me was third from the top, the blood and death history death match, Rich. <laughs> I love a history death match, man. I did. I started watching this match, but then I ran out of time, and I, I'm very disappointed. I'm going to go back and check it out, I think. Well, go finish it. It was Ryuji Ito and Takashi Sasaki against the crazy monkey Jun Kasai and uh, Toshiyuki Sakuda. A notebook match. Hey, a, a notebook death match. Holy shit. Yeah, man. I went four flat on this. This is the kind of death match madness I want. This was in uh, this was much better than the main event um, in terms of the uh, two big death matches on the show. I did not watch the um, tack strip death match with Masashi Takeda, even though it's Takeda, because I have a rule, Rich. It was Takeda and Takumi uh, Sakamoto, and they wrestled Masaya Takashi and Ricky Shane Page. I do not watch Ricky Shane Page matches. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I can't. I so can't argue. I'm with you. not watching Ricky Shane Page. I life is too short to sit through Ricky Shane Page matches. He fucking sucks. And uh, even with Takeda in there, Rich, I could not do it. The so overwhelming I, sense of uh, of Ricky Shane Page is too much to even. even I can't do it. Even even Takeda cannot uh, overwhelm a uh, the, the sadness that comes from a Ricky Shane Page match. So I get it. From what I'm told, I didn't miss much. But the uh, the blood and death history match with. Uh, but those four dudes was awesome. Ito and Sasaki won that one. I went four flat on it. So that was your top four: the uh, the mat, that blood and death history match, the uh, the strong title match, the uh, death title match, and fourth from the top was the was the excellent tag team match that everyone should go out of their way to see: Daisuke Sakamoto and Walter defeating Yuji Ino and Yuji uh, and Yuji Okabayashi. The only other match, oh, I watched a couple other matches. The junior match, uh, the junior four way was atrocious. That was Yuya Aoki successfully defending against uh, Kota Sikifuda, Tajiri, who is fucking awful, and <laughs> Tatsuhiko Yoshino. Not only is Tajiri awful, he didn't take a single bump. He was eliminated in three minutes. He was the first guy out. I don't even know why they paid him. I mean, this was the most low effort uh, before. I mean, it, it, you know, not only is he old and washed up, he gave you no effort in this match. I mean, I, I you know, I don't even know why they booked him. And then, uh, let's see, there were Stronghearts, L. Lindemann, uh, Shigehiro Iri, and T-Hawk. They defeated Fuminari Abe, Hideyoshi Kamatani, and Takuya Nomura. Looks great on paper, right? It does, yeah. Eh. Damn. But, but, yeah, it's fine. Nice little three-star match. But, I mean, it looked great on paper. And then uh, the only other match I watched, I skipped the uh, first two matches because I do not watch the Brahmin Brothers. That's another rule of mine. <laughs> Uh, Again, not not a bad rule. I I, I get it. That's uh, God, they're fucking terrible. And don't let anybody tell you different. And the opener I skipped as well. But I did watch Jake Lee and Nao Nomura from All Japan because uh, they were doing a guest spot here in Big Japan. They defeated Kazumi Kakuda and Ryuchi Kawakami in sort of a uh, showcase for Lee and Nomura. I wanted to see how their charisma would come across in a different environment, in a different promotion. And Rich, I'm here to tell you. That Jake Lee still has no charisma. Oh, damn it. Uh, yeah, he just – it was Jake Lee being Jake Lee. And, um, you know, they defeated a couple of Big Japan guys in a uh, perfunctory 11-minute and 30-second match. That was your Big Japan show. Um, watch most of it. The Noah show was better, even though I think the Big Japan show 
peaked higher with the Walter tag. So there you go. And there I'm pretty is. much I, – I don't have any voice left. Yeah, so this I'm, better be <laughs> no, we are done, man. We are well over our time here, but that's good. So I'll, I'll definitely check out that uh, that uh, uh, the blood and death history death match, which is uh, just the I greatest. Think like it. it's, it's the kind of death matches that me and you dig. It's just let's just fucking maim each other. Yeah. They had they were needles through each other's cheeks, and they took out a board with like fucking saws attached to the board. So yeah, it, you know, it was. Um, a no nonsense. Let's just bludgeon each other like moron. It was a June Kasai match. Yeah, it's perfect. That's exactly what I want when I watch a June Kasai match. It's just I'm a moron and watch me may myself for your enjoyment. And and it is very enjoyable. So uh, good stuff there. Anyway, that is it for us on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor of this, uh, the, our AEW Full Gear Review, Grapple, G-R-A-P-P-L, to download the app on the App Store or uh, the Google Play Store. For Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci. We'll see you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.